Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome to the Phil Drysdale Show. And in this episode, we are talking to Hannah Pillow, and we are talking about her experience of deconstructing from Islam and the, the movement that is um, the deconstruction movement within uh, Islam, the, the ex-Muslim uh, community. And I am excited to talk about the overlapping components of this. I'm excited to talk about some of the um, Hannah's ups and downs and, and what we can learn from that. And, and um, yeah, just talk about, about her journey and, and see what we can learn. And so let's dive in. Hannah, thank you for coming on. I'm really excited to have you. Um, could you maybe give like a rough overview? So I don't know you very well. I, the only reason we're talking is because my f- really good friend, Ben, is related to you. I think like brother-in-law? No. Cousin-in-law. Cousin? Cousin-in-law. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like my little he, brother. Yeah, there you go. And he was <laughs> like, you need to have Hannah on your show. We always oh. have the best conversations about religion and faith and growing up in weird <laughs> spiritual backgrounds and then like kind of breaking out of that. Um, and so I'm really excited to talk to you, but I don't know much about you. I've, no. I've listened to a couple of your podcasts, and so I've got a rough idea of some of what you're doing there. But um, who is Hannah? Like, who are you? What 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 is it that you're about? Um, and then maybe we can kind of like rewind and go back into who. how did that happen? <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. So wait, I just wanted to comment on Ben saying that we have the best conversations about religion because it's so funny because Ben's partner and my husband both get so annoyed with us because all we ever talk about is religion <laughs> so we like that's so funny can go and talk about something else we talking about religion <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that's okay funny. so i am from south africa that's where i was born and brought up and um yeah i was pretty much raised in a muslim family and gosh um yeah uh I guess, like, I guess I'm on the show because I left Islam and Mm. it's, it's something that's growing nowadays. A lot of people are leaving the religion and my story with it is quite similar to a lot of people I've listened to. Um, So, I mean, I, I, my family's really religious. Mm. Well, partly religious. (laughs) My mom's really religious. My brother's really religious, but I don't know if you can relate to this full, but in one family, I think you can't paint it with one paintbrush that everyone's religious, right? Sure. Yeah. 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 So it's, Everyone's it's, got quite a unique faith and what yeah. it looks like to them. And, exactly. Yeah. I mean, within our, just within my household, I think everyone has, believes in a different sect of Islam altogether. Wow. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's that very varied in my family. Yeah. Um, but basically in a nutshell, I grew up, firmly believing that Allah is God and Muhammad is the last and final messenger. And uh, it's indoctrinated into you so hard that you literally don't know anything else. And it's every other faith that you learn about, you learn about it from a certain angle or perspective. Mm -hmm. That's kind of like not true. Definitely not true. (laughs) You know, like, um, like, for example, for me as Muslim background, I grew up believing that, oh, it's so funny how Christians believe that um, there's that Jesus is the son and the God. How can anyone believe that? That's ridiculous. That's why that's why Christianity is not true. And Islam is true because we only have one God. And that's legit all I knew about Christianity. That was it. Yeah, that's (laughs) funny. That's I mean, I remember like in like religious education generally speaking across the uk most of the re teachers are like some christian just a random christian that's decided to want to be a teacher wants to teach about religious education but on some level 
is deeply skewed towards Christianity on some level. And like the way faith ends up getting presented, certainly when I was a kid, probably not so much these days. I think there's a lot more kind of like curriculum they have to hold to. Or like even a lot of the Americans I talk to and they go to like a Christian school or they're homeschooled, right? You get homeschooled by a fundamental religious parent. And are you going to expect their perspective of Hinduism to be a particularly accurate one? Like, exactly. You know. you know, you literally know nothing growing up in this bubble. Like, no. Well, kids you know think, nothing anyway. Uh, right? Anyway, I mean, exactly. And and then you think you grow up thinking you know everything, and I think that's mm. a dangerous position to be in. Yeah. Program to think you know everything because once, like for me, once I realized that I know nothing, the more I learned, the more I realized I had shitloads to learn. <laughs> Yeah, wow. Was was it quite a, a, a heavily Islamic kind of um, area that you were in? Like, what's that? Because do you say South South Africa? Africa. Uh-huh. So, so this well, is like not my first thought of South Africa is, oh, yes, deeply Islamic country. I mean, it's a very <laughs> Christian country, right, on the whole. So South let Africa. me tell you a story about that, right? So I grew up in South Africa and I did not know what a Christian country we were because I was in such a freaking Muslim bubble. Wow. And it was only when I left Islam that I realized, fucking hell, South Africa is a Christian country. There's so, it's such a huge fucking Christian community. (laughs) I mean, I used to, obviously, I used to see the the church people out on Sundays and they used to gather in the parks and stuff together. And I used to see it everywhere, but it doesn't click because you're only with the Muslims all the time. Mm. And it's such a huge, there's a huge popularity of Muslim in South Africa, like huge. Yeah. Um, so you, you don't really um, my neighbor growing up, she was Hindu and a lot of the people in the building I lived in were Hindu. Um, so I wasn't even exposed to that many Christians to, wow. to realize <laughs> how big Christianity was in South Africa for a very long time. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's so fascinating. I mean, it's intriguing because I look certainly in the UK and, and you'll know a lot being in the UK now yourself. Like it does feel like there is quite a bit of ghettoing within the UK where different groups from different countries, you'll have Pakistan kind of areas, you'll have Indian areas, you'll have areas of people from the Caribbean. And and that's just natural. People want to live with people yeah. that are like them, that believe the same things or have the same backgrounds, the same culture, same foods, whatever. And it feels like that's the case. Was that the case for your kind of family, the people you were around that you didn't get exposed to? Christian kind of people. Is that is that the case in South so Africa I'll, as well? I'll say one word: apartheid. Of course, yes. So the remains of apartheid kind of stick, you know. Mm. Like people, like there's still largely white areas, largely African areas, largely Indian areas, and it sticks. It's not like mm. there's no longer apartheid where you can't go into the areas, but or you can't live there, but it still right. sticks. Those areas are still yeah. there, like the area I grew up in. Uh, and the, the area where my family still lives is highly Indian population, mm. highly Indian, um, you know. And I know someone I spoke to recently was saying that, oh, when she thinks of the area I grew up in, she thinks that it's very white. And I'm like, yeah, if you go around like these rich coastal areas, it is very white. Mm. <laughs> but come to where I grew up and it's very, very brown. <laughs> yeah, it's so fascinating to me how, I mean, there's so much that you could go into with that with all the different uh, components. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, there's some yeah. racist shit basically going yeah, on in there. definitely. Um, and, and it's so yeah. funny because I, well, you know, it goes so off topic here, but I didn't realize racism or what racism was growing up in such a 
well, racist country, <laughs> I didn't realize this until I moved to England. And mm. I feel like when I came to England, brown equals Muslim yeah. and brown equals Pakistani. And I am mm-hmm. either of those two, you know, like, yeah, I come from a Muslim background, but I'm not Muslim anymore. And you can't, you shouldn't even assume that because you don't know. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's well, I think of my parents growing up as a kid. So this is like probably 20 to 30 years ago. Literally every corner shop was the quote unquote, the packies. And right. I, I'm pretty confident a yeah. vast majority of people in the corner shops weren't of a Pakistani ethnicity <laughs> personally or a race or, uh, or, or nationality, you know, like you um, don't know, you, right. We, we didn't know that's for yeah. sure. Like my parents saying that did not know, um, but that was, it was just like the, this culture that a very white culture. I mean, we were up in Scotland for most of my childhood or, or in rural areas, which again, yeah. you're going to be massively white, generally speaking throughout the UK, as soon as you get into rural areas. Sure. Um, and like, I just had no concept for like, Oh wait, I, I didn't even know what Paki meant. I never at any point was like, hey, Dad, what does that mean? I thought it is the, the purveyor of penny sweets. You know, like, that <laughs> like is that. what it means or something. You know, the, the, the man who can sell you iron brew and fizzy cola bottles or, you know, like, I don't know. Um, and and only as I grew up, I'm like, oh, wow, that's a, that's a people group from a certain country. And I'm like, oh, well, like, it, are they from that country? You know, like, this yeah. is so far down the line. You start asking these questions. It's, it's amazing how you just... Like I said at the beginning, like as a kid, you know nothing. You know and nothing. you grow up in a certain culture. And now I'm not blaming my parents. My parents are racist, but solely just because they grew up in racist yeah. worlds. And, and it's not because they were, it's ignorance, right? It's yeah. it's impact is, is bad, yes, but the intent wasn't necessarily bad. Yeah. Um, but it just goes to show that you can be just brought up as a kid not knowing anything and you fully accept the world you're in. You fully accept the language of your parents, what they believe, what they say, how they, per, per, you know, uh, the perspective they put across it. You are entirely at mercy of sure. the world you're born into, really. And that is such a dangerous thing, though, because um, I guess, like, for me, growing up in that bubble of what your parents thought you, like, I guess, like, just rewinding back to my story about mm. growing up in that Muslim bubble and the things that they feed you. It's actually quite a funny thing. When I actually left Islam, I was still living with my mom at that time. And I remember she was teaching my little brother about Noah's Ark. And I was uh, in my bedroom and I was I could hear her telling, telling him about how Noah got all these animals into the Ark. And I'm listening to it as if she's telling him a fictional story, but she's telling it to him, obviously, like it actually happened. And I'm thinking yeah, yeah. like, this is a grown ass woman who believes that this happened. And then I'm like, wait, <laughs> I'm like, wait a fucking second. A few months ago, I believe this actually yes. happened. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing how quickly we disassociate with our past self as well. Right. And, and so <laughs> you, you start to like look at other people and go, what a bunch of idiots, or these people are trying to brainwash everyone and they're so evil, or, you know, you can you can really create this narrative about the person you were, you know, three weeks ago, almost, yeah. you know, like, because it's such a hard swing often. Yeah. Um, so so t- talk to me about that. So you, you grew up in South Africa in this Muslim family in a, a world where you were not massively exposed to Christianity, maybe a bit basically Hinduism and, and Islam, I'd imagine, would be your main yeah. exposures. In and atheism community. was atheism was the dirtiest word you could say. Mm, yeah, 
I, I can well imagine. I can well imagine. Um, and so people that are listening, a lot of the people listening are, are Christian or, or post-Christian. Okay. They would understand that as well. You know, atheism was, oh gosh, no, no, no. There's yeah. no, no sin worse. You know, yep. you could, you know, there's many types of Christians that will allow in before a, a, an atheist. That's the worst. Um, so what happened? Like, where did it all go wrong? Like, where, where, where did you fall off the wagon? Do you mean where did it all go right? Right. That's I do. What you I mean. do. There was a bit of facetiousness there, but yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's it's quite funny. And, you know, I was I was listening to another podcast recently about someone who who just recently came out as an ex-Muslim. And she was saying that. Um, like she was very questioning things all her life and she she had questions that people couldn't answer and I I kind of think that 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 was me as well I was I was the same I always had questions that people couldn't answer and I always had um, a very critical way of thinking and full I actually remember the moment I stopped questioning things out loud and that was when my mom got so mad and she kind of was like Oh, yes. In Islam, you're allowed to criticize. Uh, no, sorry, you're allowed to question things in Islam, but you're not allowed to be arrogant towards Allah. Allah knows everything. You can't question him. I was like, honestly, mm. what the fuck does that mean? I can question things, but I can't question, <laughs> question him. But, yeah, yeah. And w- but, how does that line, who draws that line and how, how, does, right? how does that get defined? Yeah, but it was just like that, that moment that I realized that no one was going to take my questions seriously, that I stopped asking questions. And for a mm. long time, I kind of like pushed it away you know I pushed all the questions away and I just got on with life and I actually realized that I created my own version of Allah of what I thought he was and who Mm -hmm. he was to me and I practiced my religion in that way so I was never bothered too much and and I spoke about this in my recent episode on my podcast Um, I spoke about how I was I never really made the connection between the way I dressed and my spiritual belief. And I never Mm. really made the connection between the way anyone dressed and who they are as a person. And I know my mom, she put a lot of emphasis on the way we dress. So she, she even Mm. would say that even if you prayed five times a day and you didn't dress in hijab, you'd still go to hell or you still like not a perfect Muslim. And to me, it was like, it, that, if that doesn't matter to me, if I can't see why connect the dots, why the hell does it matter to God? Mm. Was always my wow. my my line of thinking, but in my head, I created this God that it didn't matter. <laughs> right? And, yeah. And I kind of like went on with believing in Islam and and believing in my God, in my merciful God, in my God who mm. who who would forgive and who is looking at my heart and not my actions. And and that's yeah. how I continued. Uh, sorry, not my action, but obviously my actions, but not like my stupid actions that don't matter, like how I dress. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, and I got on with life and then I got married uh, into a heavily religious family. Uh, mm. It's actually a Pakistani South African family. And uh, they were actually a lot more religious than my my family was. Like every oh, wow. woman, yeah, every woman in the house had like their head covered. They wore the veil. And uh, I was the only one who didn't. And um when when I got married, my ex wanted me to. Um, so I was wearing the hijab, like the headscarf. I was wearing the headscarf because that's what my mom wanted me to do. Mm. But up until I got married, I was wearing the headscarf only in front of people who cared when I wore it. And I wasn't sure. wearing it in front of people who didn't care because I, I wasn't committed to it. It wasn't my decision. Yeah. Uh, but then when I got married, it was like 
it became a permanent decision to wear it because my ex wanted me to. Yeah. And then he also wow. wanted me to wear the cloak, which is like a long black garment to like it's like a loose baggy garment to cover the whole body. Uh, and then he also wanted me to cover my face to wear the veil, and that's where I drew the line. And I said no. I'm not doing that. Um, it was never ever something I was comfortable with doing. Yeah, it was veiling my face. I just could never do that. And yeah, so I, I said no, and he allowed me to say no, and <laughs> that—that's exactly <laughs> it. He allowed me to say no. <laughs> wow, it's really crazy. Yeah. Yeah, and so yeah, so then I was married into that family, and I was always fighting against what they believed. I was always fighting against things. I was always criticizing things. Um, there was a story about. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the concept of jinns in Islam. I'm not massively familiar with now. Right. I think I've heard it. Right. So jinns. So Muslims believe that jinns are like a, an alternative create creation that that are created alongside humans. Um, right. But they kind of like ghosts. They're not dead people. They're living. Yeah, they they like their creations. They're walking amongst us, and uh, we can't see them, but they can see us. Mm. And uh, there's there's various stories about where they live and how they live. And amongst the jinns, apparently, there's believers and there's disbelievers. And um, so in in Islam, um, Muslims believe that they can summon a jinn, and they can control a jinn, and that jinn can possess other people. So it would be similar to in Christianity with like getting possessed and uh, yeah, yeah. yeah it kind it, of sounds maybe like angels, demons, that kind of idea on some level. These kind of kind ethereal of like beings, kind of, but that it's can be not good or bad. Yeah, but not so angel. So angels and devils, we would say that the angels live in heaven and the devil walks mm-hmm. amongst us. Blah blah blah. Um, but we, but when it comes to jinns, they actually like. Like They're humans, kind of beings. they earthly beings, yeah, mm. and and they also will go to heaven and hell, basically. Okay, yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, so yeah, so so Muslims believe that they can summon a jinn and they can control a jinn, um, and um, yeah. So in, in my in my ex's family, um, they believe that my ex that some of us were being um, had like black magic or something done on us by a jinn, and uh, we were told to do all these rituals in the house, like spray holy water on the four corners and not supposed to eat steak. And I straight up told my ex, uh, no, I'm not doing any of those things. You Um, love steak way too much. Oh, hell yeah. (laughs) Uh, But but even so, I was like, no, I'm not doing any of those things. That's stupid. I'm not waking up at dawn to spray my house. If you want to do it, you can do it. (laughs) So... That's I was so always funny. pushing out against everything that they were. So another thing is that they were they were highly against circular education, secular education, mm. highly against it. And it was wow. only like um, Islamic education that uh, they valued. And for me, I was pushing against that. I got my degree while I was married. Um, and I was the only person in that entire family to get a degree because no one wow. believed in going to school there. Um, and despite that, I, I did it anyways. <laughs> and I was like very, very firm that if I had to have kids, they were going to go to school and they were going to complete school. So I was always pushing back against their agenda and against what they believed in that circle. Um, but I would still, I would still pray. I used to pray. Um, 
sometimes five times a day, but not always. Um, that that was a hard thing for me to do. Uh, mm. I could never stop. Hard thing for a lot of people to do. I mean, it is. Yeah. My God, it's like like nowadays my day my day is so freaking busy. It's like I cannot imagine stopping five times a day to go and do that evolution thingy, and mm. uh, it's, it's like takes like at least five to ten minutes to complete a prayer yeah. and then get on with my day. <laughs> it's like, gosh, I used to do that, but yeah, not it. I can't. I can't imagine doing that anymore. Um, but yeah, it is. It's a hard thing to do. But yeah, I used to do that. I used to, I used to fast every single Ramadan. I was quite good with the fasting. Um, I used to pray a lot, like not not the five daily prayers, but you know, like just praying to God, mm, like praying, yeah. praying for whatever. I used to pray a lot. Um, I used to read the Quran as well. So I had some belief. Um, yeah. I think I just wasn't like firmly knowing what I was believing in. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, from my understanding, and again, I'm not an expert on uh, on Islam at all, but I mean, Islam is a deeply fractured religion, much like Christianity. There's like, you know, Christianity, sure. you've got so many different sects, and then within those, you've got tens of thousands of different breaking aparts. And, and I know within Islam, you've got very differing um, beliefs across mm. the uh, boards. And then even when you get into the, the nitty gritty, you still have, you know, people go, well, yeah, but with that, we're a little bit different. We don't see it that way. Or, um, mm. and, and I guess did, did that, um, was that on your radar when you were questioning things, when you were looking, were you going, well, maybe actually I'm just not exploring the right kind of yeah. perspective of Islam. Sure. Maybe there's a different type of Islam for me. You know, maybe if I got into like roomy, like <laughs> non-dualistic, you know, or, um, you, you know that there is these kind of because I know for a lot of Christians that go through this, and I, and I know for other people of different faiths, even Judaism and things like that. There's like, well, actually, maybe I'm just not a Hasidic Jew. Maybe actually, there's a different type of Judaism for me that's not quite so extreme, or or, or whatever. Did you did you did you kind of go through those kind of explorations and and? Hell yeah, and, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so like I said, in my own family, in my own household, amongst my siblings and my mom and myself. Um, everyone had a different Islam that they believed mm. in right? Yeah, and yeah. Uh, a different Islam that they were practicing. And I think that's kind of still the case right now. I don't really know because I don't really speak religion to anyone. <laughs> but yeah, so there was a period in my marriage uh, where one of my brothers was exploring and kind of converted to a different sect of Islam. Mm. And it seemed very liberal and very um, modern um, so I like, I, I was intrigued by this and, uh, this was the Islam I thought was for me. And, it, you know, they were very pro education. They were very, um, pro women's, woman's right. I say that in inverted commas. Sure. Comparatively. <laughs> uh, yeah. Comparatively. Exactly. Um, and yeah, it was, it, it looked like you said, it was like, it was an enticing package mm. and it was a package. My ex was very, very much against. And I actually yeah. took my ex to a Muslim camp by the sect. And I was trying to convince him that if we had <laughs> kids, I'm raising them this way. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it was quite, yeah. So I definitely went through that phase. And that was the last, um, the, the last sect I actually explored. And I was kind of following that one right mm. up until until the end. That, that was the one I was following. Um and it was the one that aligned the most with my values for a while until I got more into it, which is any sect of Islam. Until you get more into it, you realize what it actually is. 
<laughs> sure. The limitations suddenly come yeah, racing up to the forefront. For sure. It's it's yeah, it's like not just yeah, not just the limitations, but it's also the hypocrisy. Mm. You know? Um so I saw like religious leaders like in this sect, apparently you could pick and choose which hadiths you wanted to choose to follow and which ones you didn't want to follow, uh, according to several things. And I actually saw like people who considered themselves Muslim leaders changing what they believed to suit their lifestyle. So they believed we couldn't celebrate birthdays, but if their kids suddenly wanted to celebrate birthdays, they found a loophole to make celebrating <laughs> birthdays halal. And I was like, well, that's convenient. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? That's funny. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's like the little things that they don't add up. Mm. And again, um, I think, again, you start questioning things and you're not getting answers and people are getting irritated with you. And for me, it was that irritation from people and not getting answers. Mm. Um, that was a big red flag. Yeah. You know, like. And also there, there was a, there's a lot of insecurity in religion, isn't there? A yeah, lot absolutely. of insecurity because, because they have to have that. If that mindset is not the right one, they have a lot of people will have nothing. You know, a lot mm -hmm. of these Muslim scholars or even Christian scholars, their whole livelihoods are based on their religion. And if that, if you have absolutely. to bust that bubble, they have nothing. So they have to protect that with all their life. And yeah. that that's where that insecurity comes from that, um, you know, the excuses for why people leave religion is created around that mentality, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We create all kinds of uh, labels and terrible, uh, just, it's just a complete um, denial of the other person's experience yeah. so that we can reinforce our experience. You exactly. Know, it's, it's, it's an, and it's existential. I don't, I don't even, I, I think it's huge in people that are making their livelihood through this. But I think yeah. almost anyone, like it, with something like religion, it's such an existential reality, right? It's, this is who I am. Like mm. I have given every year of my life, every day within that year to yeah. this thing and it's shaped who I am and it's how I see the world. And it's, I chose to marry this person because of this religion. And I, you know, brought my kids this way because of this religion. And if suddenly a few cracks get in there and goes you might have been wrong well now my marriage my kids my life who i am might be wrong it's much better to quickly shut down that yeah and their reputation cracks a, a oh, really big one yeah, is their reputation huge deal, huge deal. yeah yeah um, no that that's huge and i think that's that's especially big in a, a certain islamic groups as well it can be very yes, big right it's, it's very kind of reputation can be a very big thing in it's that very kind of dangerous right now if depending on how big of an influencer you are in islam because i know there's mm. this one guy um everyone's talking about him right now yasukari um in the muslim world everyone's talking about him apparently he has been getting threats from isis right now wow um and he's not even an ex-muslim he's a freaking muslim he just has um <laughs> he's just been he gave this whole uh Gosh, it's so complicated. But he he basically said that there's holes in the Quranic narrative because he went to Yale and he realized that there are freaking holes in the Quranic narrative. And he was trying to trying to let the Muslim Muslim community know about this, but also trying, I think he was trying to fix it from within. Mm. Uh, but it kind of backfired on him. 
I can see that happening. <laughs> yeah, it, it became a huge deal. Like I, I follow the ex-Muslim world so much online, mm. and I just watch the politics from from behind the scenes. Um, but yeah, it's it's fascinating, and it's a bit scary what's happening out there. Scary, yeah. but also I think it's also good that people are speaking out, and I think it's really yeah. good that um, you know these platforms exist. I'm not very vocal about it. This this is the first time I've ever spoken about my story. Uh, mm in on any public medium so lucky you full <laughs> well, well done though i mean thank you I, I'm, I'm honored that you would um so yeah, yeah I mean, it, and it can be a big deal as well i mean it, it, like you said there's a lot riding on this and and for families involved and for all these different things it can be a huge huge deal no um, for sure so, it, yeah. it's a huge deal and i you know like i'm not completely out as an ex-muslim um, I think like a lot of my family members, they would, um, they suspect it, they suspect that I'm not religious, or maybe they suspect that I'm mm. I'm living a very modern lifestyle. But if I had to vocally say out loud to them that I'm an ex-Muslim, or I don't believe in Allah, um, I think that would cause a whole other problem, you know? Um, right. And I want them in my life. I I'm in a good place in my life where I really don't want to deal with the conflict. Um, mm-hmm. so I, I want, I want my family around, not around me. They, they're quite far away from me. I don't want them around me, but I want them in my life. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. That's, I mean, this is a huge thing for people as they make these transitions though, you know, this is your, your world, especially in most religions, especially very fundamental religions, family, community, friends, everything, it all becomes kind of one giant bubble that is, mm. It, you, there's a very clear kind of line of like you're kind of in or you're out um, mm. and then there's these awkward transitions where people do kind of step outside of that bubble um, but there's enough distance where people go oh yeah there's still one of us if we don't ask too many questions if we don't they're look still, too closely yeah. they're still in they're still in yeah. um, and, and there's a and that works for a lot of people and it can work uh, you know long term indefinitely yeah. that's the end but there is a there's a tension there, and there's a, there's, a, there's a reality there of um, those people, your family, your friends, your loved ones, not really knowing you. They don't know you. They don't connect yeah. with the authentic, you know, real Hannah. They don't know you no. because no, they know a, an idea or a concept of yeah. you that they they want to know. And on you, on some level, you you can't open up because it yeah. will shatter that reality and and maybe fracture some of those relationships. Like, how have you navigated that? How have you come to the place of going? I think this is what I have to do, though, for their sake, for my sake, for relationship's yeah. sake. Like, how did you go about navigating that? Like, was that something you? I mean, I'm imagining you put some thought and uh, sweat <laughs> and blood into that. That's really yeah. That's really funny that you've asked that because um, I think I just mentioned to you before we started that I'm. Mm. I, I had uh, schooled my therapist today. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> well, yeah. So I I, w- I was I just ended my therapy session today. Like I, I was in therapy again for I think probably going to be the last time for a while because I feel like I graduated therapy. My therapist said that I'm my own therapist now. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I was kind of trying to explore what coming out to my family would look like with him. Mm. But I kind of realized that he wasn't the right person to explore this with because he's coming from a Christian background. And I know that there are a lot of similarities uh, from leaving Islam and leaving Christianity. But I think that I'm I'm, going to be a bit careful with the words I choose here, but I think that with certain communities, 
in Christianity and with certain communities, with any community in Islam, it's really, really a big deal. But I think with yeah. Christianity, it really depends on the level of um, dedication you're coming from and your family's oh, coming from. Oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah. There's, there's with, definitely communities that are more or less, uh, yeah. even Concerned. dangerous potentially yeah. to leave. But, but in Islam, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter in Islam how religious your parents are. Like, even if they are like the most modern Muslims in the whole world and you leave Islam, it's still a big fucking deal. <laughs> yeah. And no, that's absolutely. like, that's like the hugest difference. And because it's so new to be an ex-Muslim, um, it's, it's, yeah, it's a new thing. It's a fairly new thing to be an ex-Muslim. It's a fairly new yeah. thing to be an ex-Muslim publicly and, I, th- I felt like having that discussion with a ex-Christian therapist was not, we, we were banging heads all the time mm-hmm. and um, it wasn't working for me. So I felt like yeah. this is a conversation I have to have with other ex-Muslims, not yeah. with um, anyone from any other religion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, honestly, I would imagine very few people within Christian circles would understand that. I can imagine certain uh, Christian communities, maybe like ones that are much more kind of communal, maybe very separatist, live separate from the world and kind of much more, this is our community. That might be a more uh, apt kind of uh, scenarios, people that maybe leave that kind of Christian community. But on the whole, most Christian communities are not going to be anywhere near as, um, as, as severe. So I can well imagine that the average Christian, and I don't know if he's coming from a Christian background, he might even still be within that world as well. And so yeah. maybe it's even more of a, anathema to him to leave your your faith i mean why would mm. you do that even so um i think it's there's so many barriers there to be breaking through that yeah you probably do need to be talking to someone that knows where, where you're going you know and, yeah. and knows the battles that you you face for sure yeah exactly yeah. and um yeah my main concern with coming out is not having access to my nephews and nieces um mm. I don't want to say this out loud publicly. I mean, of course I do love my family and I care about them, but they're all adults and they're allowed to make their own choices mm-hmm. about what they want to do. But if they're going to, but I know it's not going to be the kid's choice. Um, if they cut me out, it's going to yeah. be the parent's choice. And that's not fair to me. That's not fair to the kids. Yeah. And that, that's, that would be my main concern. Um, so I, I do. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a difficult one to, to consider. It's a difficult one to, to navigate. Um, I think the only reason I came to the place I am now is because I live so far away from them that it doesn't really matter um, how I live my life. And I think like a lot of my culture has to do with reputation. So when you're in the eye of everyone and everyone's seeing what you're doing and it's affecting everyone's reputation, then it's a problem. But if yeah. you are far away and not in their eye and nobody mm-hmm. really knows what you're doing, nobody ge- really cares what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That so, makes sense. But yes, yeah, so I guess my, my issue is that I do plan to grow my audience. I plan to become more public and, um, you know, facing this reality, my, my, my family facing this reality is going to be a reality soon, uh, sooner than I might have wanted it to. And uh, it is something that I have been currently exploring. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, and, it, and it's something that we, we all navigate on some level. These, these how our personal choices, how our personal views 
affect the relationships around us because they do right they whatever do. that looks like even if you're married to someone you both get married believing in certain things wanting the same ideas having the same visions and goals and then along the way we change we grow and we adapt and then you realize huh i'm not really happy with my wife <laughs> wanting to do that i wanted to do this or and you have to then learn to compromise and figure out or you can't and you end up maybe getting divorced or breaking up there's so much going on just in general never yeah. mind when we bring in these things that are the core kind of you know the core bedrock to a lot of people's lives yeah and something like religion that's like a whole nother level it's not just like a oh you said you wanted to be a doctor and now you want (laughs) to run a podcast or something i don't know like it's like that's a different change but okay we'll deal with it you know not you said you wanted to spend eternity with me one day (laughs) and now you're gonna go to hell or whatever i don't know (laughs) exactly that's exactly it right Uh, i mean i'm an adult it's my grown-ass decision if i want to go to hell or not isn't it (laughs) yeah absolutely that's so funny (laughs) but no it's um that's exactly it it does it affects it affects so much of your life um but i've been very very lucky in the sense that I've built a whole new community. Um, Mm. I've got, I'm remarried. I've got a husband that um, I I love and I feel really safe with. I I feel really safe in my environment. Um, If anything had to happen with my family relationships, I could definitely 100% handle it right now. It would not be the best thing. um, Because, you know, I'm saying out loud, I'm saying publicly, I want them in my life, but whatever they decide is their decision. And Mm. um, that is not something I can control. Um, It's something I can actually understand though, because I understand where they're coming from and I understand their their way of thinking. I can completely understand it. Um, But at the end of the day, it is their choice. Um, But yeah, (laughs) that's what it is. Um, I, I think, I think I am in a good place in my life to, Mm to do to come out <laughs> but uh it, it takes a while to get there yeah. you know I, I have friends who have come out a lot earlier than I have and it, but it's so it's different for everyone and that that's something I just want to highlight that it's so different for everyone because there's so many things you have to take into consideration when you do come out where I'm not sure about uh, from a Christianity point of view but like I know from an ex from a Muslim point of view uh, having your own independence and your play, a place to go to is mm. vital if you're planning to come out um, because yeah. there's so many stories of people getting kicked out of their homes and not having anywhere to go, not having any money. Some people couldn't yeah. even complete school. There's so many stories. So so having that plan and having that independence is number one. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it's so ironic because I remember when I was still Muslim, I remember my brother and my mom having a conversation about ex-Muslims because it was becoming more prevalent. And they were Mm. saying that if someone in your family has to say they're not a Muslim anymore, you should love and support them and show them that Muslims are really good. Uh, And I think that's so ironic because someone in our family recently came out as um, someone as uh, not as an ex, well, as an ex-Muslim, but she left for a different fate. Mm. And the family completely, completely Wow. Chopped her out. No one speaks to her. <laughs> so, they forgot that bit. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah, that was the exception to the rule, right? There's always an exception and it's this one. It's like the birthday party, right? Oh, yeah, we do this. Oh, wait, but not when my kid wants a birthday party. 
<laughs> oh wait, yeah. I can have cake, but I can't have candles because that's from a different culture. There you go. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you love to support people if they leave Islam, but not if they leave to that religion. Or you know, it's, it's, we, we all figure out what it is that makes us feel we can do, it. and we will. We'll, we'll ex- we can explain away almost any belief that allows us to kind of like just feel safe in this world, right? Yeah. I mean, ultimately, that's what we're all doing on some level, right? We're just For trying sure. to paint some narrative to kind of feel a bit. To feel safe. And, and I think that's something really important to talk about because I've seen it on your platform. I've seen that you you talk about this a lot, Phil, and I love that. Um, but it's it's that when you leave religion, you are deconstructed and you you have that safety falls away. And mm. I know, I know when I left, um, and, and actually this is also why I get I get really angry. I understand the excuses that the religious people make that oh, they just don't understand the religion, or you know, they even say, Oh, she just wants to drink alcohol and have sex. <laughs> it's like, dude, I could drink alcohol and have sex and be a freaking bad Muslim. I did not have to leave Islam to do that. <laughs> but that's funny. Yeah, but I mean, uh, yeah, I get mad with these excuses of why people leave Islam because it was so difficult to leave it. It was such Mm. a difficult decision to come to. It was so emotional to leave everything I believed in, to leave that safety net and to realize that this whole world is completely different to what I grew up believing it to be. And then to find a purpose after that, it was Mm. hard. It was not an easy thing to do, you know, to find why am I alive? Why am I here? What is this about? To find all of that outside of religion, it's it's a lot of people suffer with it. A lot of people get depressed. And now yeah. I know religious people will swoop in and say, oh, they're depressed because they don't have God. And right. yes. Well, it's the perfect yes, scenario. Like, are. see, you're not doing well because yeah. you don't yeah. do what you should have. Well, they are depressed because they don't have God, but that only depressed because you taught them that that's what they needed. <laughs> yeah. No, Absolutely. It's, it's yeah. a real grieving process. I've, I've talked with um, grief experts and they, they talk about this and, and it's, it, you're literally dealing with death. Like you, there's a death of yourself. There's a death mm. of your community. There's a death mm. of your family. I mean, certainly the relationships you have are gone. Like they're not there in the same way. Um, I've lost The death friends. of your gods, your God mm-hmm. is dead. You know, and it, it, even if, if, even if you have a new concept of gods, the God that you had all your life growing up, that you had a relationship with, that you prayed to, gone, or what, gone dead. Gone. Um, cool. And so and you've got God to go through like grieving that. that. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's like that. Yeah, it's it is. just like that. And it's just, yeah. it's so scary. You know, Phil, I used to have nightmares about hell for such a long mm. time. I had to, like my, my method to get over that was to actually historically research where the hell, hell came from <laughs> and, and, and give it like a physical, logical explanation. And then mm-hmm. also like the realization of hell, like in, in the Quran, and I'm sure it's the same in, in the Bible as well where hell is very medieval. There's no um, nuclear bombs in hell. You know, there's no mm-hmm. guns in hell. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing modern in hell. <laughs> it's very <Yeah>. time-specific <laughs> torture. It's a very cultural metaphor, right? And it's I mean, very it, cultural. It, 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 it's a metaphor of pain, suffering, darkness, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, death. But we're going to use the language we understand right now mm. and the terms right now. And mm. I think you have to understand that, like, any way you cut it, yes, it could be talking about physical places or whatever. Yeah, sure, that's possible. But it also, I think on a deeper level, anyone would at least engage on some level with the concept of we all understand what hell is. We all have lived through hell, right? Which mm. is what we discussed just as a deconstruction process. Yeah. That's hell. That is yeah. going through hell. Yes, you're correct. I'm going to hell. 
today. Not like one day when I die. I go through hell today because I just lost my gods, my family, my friends, my yeah. myself. You know, yeah, that's yeah. hell on earth. It really is this horrible process. For and sure. I'm going through it and hopefully I find some sort of heaven, right? Some Absolutely. sort of paradise. Yeah, um, and you do. I mean, if, if, if you have if you have the right tools, if you have the right support, mm. if you find the right people, you do get to the other side. And I will say, I think that it's a lot easier to go through this process when you're younger than it is when you're older. Mm. And it's a lot more ingrained because I've had seen older people who've left the fate who really, really struggle with it because it's been their entire lives. And I'm not that old. Um, I'm not that guess. Technically I'm young guess, but um, even for me, I feel like Islam has robbed me of so much of my life mm. and so much of my opportunity. And I feel like I'm so behind on so many things because of the way I was brought up. Um, but imagine being older and and, and coming to that yeah. realization. It's so much more difficult to adjust. Yeah. And yeah, um, I definitely think that 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 bridge and that support is needed for ex-Muslims today. Mm. Um, I'd love to I'd love to get on that scene. I'd love to help out with that. Yeah. Um, I do so, have to come out <laughs> properly yeah. to, to be able <laughs> to, to do, do that, that. You might have to on some level. <laughs> Depends. I don't know. You could you could do very uh, on the ground work where you are locally or something, and maybe no, no one would ever know. Um, talk to me about that though, because uh, this is something that fascinates me. So my world is generally revolving around people that are deconstructing from Christianity, conventional sure. forms of Christianity, and I know the data on this. I know mm. people in and out. I talk to thousands of people a year about this. Are going through. It. I know a lot about this area. Okay. Um, and it's, I mean, this has been going on for hundreds of years on some yeah. level, but it is getting faster and faster and bigger and bigger and more and more, Yay, um, progress. which is, which is <laughs> wonderful. It's great. I see it as a big spiritual awakening, to be honest yeah, with you personally. For sure. Um, it depends on what you mean of spirituality and things like that, but that's no, how I it, frame it. Um, but so this is something that's very much going on within Christianity. In some ways I look at, um, Islam and I, I see it on the same trajectory but i do see from my perspective of looking at the data i've been exposed to mm. um it seems to be 20 30 40 years um behind in the sense that mm. christianity 20 30 40 years ago in certainly in europe had a mass just exodus like most mm. people that said they were christian 30 40 50 years ago are no longer christian uh, the vast majority of them. And and then if you look at the, the age brackets and you look at like, you know, people alive today versus people alive 50 years ago, you know, you've got a broad spectrum of like Christians now massively atheist or agnostic um, or maybe even something else as well. Actually, potentially some increases in Islam or, or whatever, you know, there's, there's a whole bunch going on, but Christianity not doing good. Um, <laughs> and as I said, that, that maybe is good. And it might even be good for people that want to follow the path of Jesus. Cause I think sometimes Christianity can be antichrist. Um, but um, in a lot of ways, it seems like that Islam is heading on a similar trajectory in many ways. Now in certain cultures, in certain parts of the world, not at all. It seems that Islam is doing fantastically from my perspective. Uh, I'm you not might sure. be wrong, actually. I might be. I you would love be to be. Yeah. Okay. Are, are you talking about countries like Saudi? Uh, well, I think Saudi, oh, I don't know. I don't even know what I believe about half of what I hear. So, yeah. I mean, I know that you everything is wrong. progressing and growing and changing. Yeah. I know there's underground scenes. I know there's mm. lots of things going on. Talk to me about this, because I want to know what is the climate, you know, maybe worldwide, maybe more 
like locally in different areas. What's yeah. going on in Islam? Is there this mass falling away, deconstruction, people learning to think for themselves, you know, explore more, I don't know how you'd word it <laughs> politically correctly, but deconstructing, you know, I, yeah. I always, always offend someone if you say one term or another, about <laughs> losing faith or whatever. Um, well, I, I don't know if I'm the best person to talk about statistics because I don't really, I don't really know the data. Um, sure. But like from what I do know, um, I know that the data is not very accurate because when it comes to leaving Islam, there's a, ma a majority, a, a huge majority of those people who leave Islam who just don't come out. Who, yeah. So you you wouldn't even be able to get them uh, on any data. For example, myself, um, yeah. you know, I, I'm not officially out and there's so many of us. But there are forums um, online. There are so many forums. And that's actually something that I came across when I was questioning things. Um, and that's where you actually realize how massive the ex-Muslim mm. community is growing. And how, like, I found a ex-Muslim community in the UK when I was living in South Africa. And I actually made so many friends on that forum who I've actually met in reality now. Oh, that's awesome. And um, but on that forum, because I think it was at that time, it was the only ex-Muslim forum around. But on and on that forum, we had people from Pakistan. We had people from Saudi Arabia, South Africa. There were people from all over the world on mm. that forum. And now, like, I follow a lot of ex-Muslims online on, on YouTube and stuff. And they interview ex-Muslims from every country around the world, yeah. everywhere. And um, that's why I, I don't think these statistics for Islam are very accurate right now. I don't think it's something we yeah. can, we could get a broad sense of it. And even like when they say Islam is growing, it's growing through reproduction. <laughs> those, mm -hmm. those numbers are not that accurate, you know? There's so many stories of people who came into the religion and immediately left or yeah. left a few weeks later. And those things are not getting recorded statistically. Mm. I think our our statistics for Islamic um, growth or decline is just not very accurate right now. Yeah, um, no, that I, makes sense. Yeah, I definitely think it's growing. I definitely think it's on the same um, wave, not, not on the same wavelength as what Christianity is, but I think that like people are forecasting that it's going to be that way mm. in the, in the next, I don't know, twenty to fifty years. <laughs> we could see yeah. it in that direction. Um, but yeah, it's definitely growing. Yeah. It just seems, it seems to me that that's, that's kind of, I guess what I was saying I, I, in just this massive shift in Christianity in the last kind of 50 years, probably probably mm. less than that, but it's probably started around 50 years ago. We saw this massive undertaking of people just going, this just doesn't make sense anymore. Or, ah, it's not for me or going, or, or, or militantly, this is evil. This is terrible. But mm. people just choosing a different path um and a lot of it has been probably birthed out of intellectualism secularism you know education mm. you know things like that um i'm sure plenty of people have said, will say you know if, if you ever do come out a bit wow it's because you went to university none of our family went to university and we we're all still saved you know oh, see it's clearly well, or <laughs> well actually that, that was kind of in my my ex's family that was your ex's family wasn't yeah, it? yeah in my sorry. family uh i'm like the dumbest one in my family just so oh know. okay well there you go well, maybe it's maybe it's that maybe you're not educated enough i don't yeah. know um, <laughs> but it, do, it does feel like there's a lot going on. It's this hotbed of things. Um, I, was I was talking even about, um, even about 
within Christianity, the conception of or the, or the way that it's perceived um, things like homosexuality, LGBTQ, you know, that kind of stuff, it, it, you know, talking about how um, how accurate the data is, it would be like being in a Christian church on a Sunday morning going, everyone who's gay, put your hands up. No <laughs> exactly. one's putting their hands up, right? Exactly. Um, Wait. The, but there the might be a few day, gay people in there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The other day I was I was listening to a podcast again about um and this this one guy was saying that when he went he went to mosque once and the guy sitting next to him told him that he's an atheist and he was like, "Well, what are you doing at the mosque?" He's like, "Well, I told my dad I'm an atheist and he's forcing me to come to mosque anyway." <laughs> <laughs> and he says that if sounds I, about right, yeah. Yeah, and he says if I say the word atheist one more time, he's going to kick me out of the house. Um, yeah yeah I mean that yeah. that just paints the picture doesn't it yeah well and and this is it so in my so there's a fascinating statistic that I came across about a year ago where they looked at um people at the age of 18 to 29 that were no longer Christian that said they were Christian uh you know they grew up Christian sorry um but between 18 and 29 they said I'm no longer a Christian and they came out of their faith they polled them and said when did you decide to leave Christianity and I think it, oh trying to remember the statistic i think it was it was in the 70s i can't remember the exact number it was in a 70 percent window of them decided to leave christianity between the age of 13 and 16 and so it it just shows there's this dynamic for young people within christianity of you're going to church whether you like it or not you can make your decision when you're 18 and guess what decision they make right um but it feels like in some ways within the islamic community there isn't a when you're 18 you get to make your own decision oh, and God, so there no. is a there is that rebellious teenager that's made their mind up going i'm not a part of this anymore but you're a part of this this is the world you live in this is the culture this is you know you're not sticking your hand up to say that's me no um and, 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 and that's and a really interesting dynamic it just hides the potentially what is going on no, for yeah. sure. And and another thing, like just to circle back to like what you're saying about teenagers who leave the religion, just to circle back to it's not safe to lead, to, to come out as an ex-Muslim if you don't have anywhere to go, if you don't yeah. have your independence. So they're not going to, they're going to stick yeah. it up um, and stay there until they can leave. Yeah. And then they might, yeah, put their hand up and say, yeah, now I'm not a Muslim. So like our statistics could grow in, in, in a couple of years, in, in five yeah. years, in 10 years for people who are becoming more independent and are able to to come out. Um, yeah. I mean, I think, the, I think the Muslim world is in crisis right now over this ex-Muslim community. There's a huge um, backlash on, on YouTube with it. There's a lot of, um, we call them Dawah men. Um, what is the what is a Christian equivalent to a Dawah man? A missionary, I think. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and they're fighting back against the um the ex the ex-Muslim community. And there's just a lot of heat online. Um yeah, it, it's yeah. they I think the Muslim world is realizing there's a problem and mm-hmm. they just they they are scared, they are insecure, they don't yeah. know how to deal with it. And they are dealing with it. Well, not all of them, but the ones who are very, very big on YouTube are not dealing with it in the right way. Yeah. <laughs> and they're coming across as very violent, very arrogant, very ignorant. And they're just not putting their best face forward with it. But yeah. at the same time, it's an emotional thing for them, isn't it? Yeah. And they're, and they're locked in. Uh, at least I'm trying to draw parallels between my world and your world, which, you know, there's these overlapping components. But like... In a sense, when I watch Christians do this and they start 
calling the deconstructing community all sorts of horrible names or they say, oh, that person never believes in God anyway or they're this or they just want to go and have sex or do whatever. And, um, you know, all these things happen. But in a sense, they're, they're bound. They don't, they're playing a game with a very, very limited set of, you know, rules and tools that they have to, that yeah. they have in their arsenal because they, they are bound to what the Bible says or what they believe the Bible says at least or, you know, or, or what their faith dictates or their tradition or whatever. And, and so, you know, I look at a Christian that is deeply homophobic, um, for example, and I, and they come across this homophobic asshole and I'm like, but yeah, of course they are. Cause they're in a certain tradition that reads the Bible in this rigid way in that way, which means they have to be homophobic. There's no other way. Um, mm. and so I'm not saying that's good. I'm not even saying, um, we should accept that, but I am saying, I don't think it was going to ever going to be any other way for that person. They, they are mm. kind of locked in. And, and I wonder is, you know, you look at how a, a lot of the people, you know, you look at someone that's going to be a missionary or what did you call them? Sorry. Uh, we say, well, Dawa, we call them Dawa guys. Um, but yeah, it's Dawa is the term for it. Sure. But yeah. I'd imagine these are the people. So, so if you choose to be a Dawa, I'm imagining you're going to be like up there as far as pretty uh, fundamental and passionate about your faith. Oh, yeah. Right. You don't yeah. choose that because you're like, ah, not that fussed <laughs> about Allah, but why not? You know, like I'm assuming you're in, you know, and uh-huh. so. Even more so, of course, these guys are going to be right. It's not like you're asking your uncle Jeff, who doesn't really care. You know, you're asking like someone that's made it their life purpose to try and save people into Islam. Of course, they're going to be quite heated about this. Yeah. Um, and, and so it's just this weird dynamic. But one thing that fascinates me is when I look at this movement within Christianity, the vast majority of Christianity has done themselves a disservice and only kind of reinforced, hey, you have made a great decision. Look at this. This is how I'm responding. You didn't want to be this, did you? Great job. Good job. Excellent decision leaving this because we were a bunch of assholes. That's how a lot of Christianity end up portraying themselves in this process. But there are a set or even a movement within Christianity. Now, I personally... it's maybe a softer side of the same coin. Um, but there's, there's certainly within Christianity, there's a desire to go, okay, hold on. Can we include these people? Can we bring them in? Can we go, well, what are your problems with Christianity? And can we figure out a way to incorporate that? And, and I know you mentioned maybe more, more kind of liberal kind of sects mm. within kind of Islam. Do you see, um, a possibility in the future of, there being more sects emerging from Islam that kind of are trying to accommodate this kind of ex-Muslim movement? Or is it such a harsh reaction from such a fundamentalist kind of community that you don't see that being particularly likely? I mean, it's it's um, it's kind of funny because we already had a new sect emerge from all of this, um, which was, uh, I can't remember what they call themselves again, but they basically only follow the Hadith, the, the sayings of the Prophet. Sorry, they don't follow the sayings of the Prophet. Oh, they Quranist, Quranist, sorry. So they don't follow the sayings of the Prophet, but they only follow the Quran. And that was, I think, an attempt to mod- to modernize or make the religion more simple. Um, and it was an attempt to do that. And a lot of people fall off that va- wagon and it's like kind of a gateway into becoming right. an ex-Muslim. Um, I don't know. I don't think they would be another sect because there's um it, it really depends on the person who's leaving the religion i don't i think that when they leave the religion they're not really l- looking for another sect once once they've made up that, mm. that mind um 
I mean, I think that they are. We there are a lot of talks right now about modernizing the religion and and liberalization and um and that's why I mentioned Yasser Gadi earlier because they say that he's trying to what they call reform Islam. So maybe mm. that could lead to another sect. But there's a lot of pushback within the community on yeah. on that. A lot of people don't want to hear it, and a lot of people are fighting back and being like, "Oh, there's nothing wrong with Islam. There's something wrong with yeah. you," and. Yeah, so there's there's still a lot of fight and pushback to to get to that point. I personally believe that it will be very watered down in a few years. Um, mm. Just maybe not not for everyone. There'll still be people who would be following the very strict Islam or the very you know traditional Islam. But I think that there will be a modernized uh, type of Islam in a, in in a few years' time. I definitely mm. think there will be. It seems like things are moving that way. Um, and yeah, I can I can see that happening. The world is just changing so much. It's hard to, yeah. it's really hard to hold on to those ancient beliefs in this in these days and age. You know, we have new religions already. Um, you know, and and it's so funny. I find it so funny that like in 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 Islam, and I'm sure it's the same in Christianity. When they see these new religions, they make fun of people who proclaim they are a prophet. And I'm like, but that's exactly what your prophet did. Right, that's what your guy did. <laughs> right. <laughs> It's exactly the same thing. How, how do you see that as being different? <laughs> you know, yeah. but our guy really is a prophet. Oh, okay, right? problem solved. Okay, yeah, you yeah. got it. Good I argument. Mean, Good argument. Exactly. I mean, these guys <laughs> believe their guy's the prophet. <laughs> it's it's fascinating, isn't it? And 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 it does. I think something that happened to me as I kind of um, stepped out of kind of a conventional kind of Christian world was I started to have a lot more understanding for other religions and a lot more respect for other religions. Yeah. Um, in other ways, I, I started to go, oh, we're all doing the same thing and it's all bullshit <laughs> sometimes. But in other ways, I go, oh, actually, we're all doing the same thing. And actually, on some level, it's all beautiful. And there's actually some real beauty to what we're all trying to do. We're just mm. doing it in really flawed ways. And in a lot of ways, we probably did it in a very healthy way 3,000 years ago for, you know, something like a mm. Judeo-Christian, uh, uh, maybe even slightly Islamic would kind of fall into that. The, a lot of this stuff kind of comes down to like ideologies that were like 3,000 plus years old yeah. and haven't really evolved. And so actually, it's hard to say that that um, the, the 3,000 years ago, this was a terrible idea. But maybe if we've grown, maybe if we've taken the ideas, the, the mythology, the, 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 the uh, metaphor that, mm. that religion is, if we've taken that with us and allowed us to grow in our culture and, and move forward with that, some of the ideas are really beautiful. Some ideas of you have to die to grow and to live. And, you know, you, you, you know, that's a beautiful concept. Whether you believe in Jesus dying and raising from the dead or not, there's a very real reality that our ego has to die for us to really truly be transformed and grow and become who we are. Yes, I can get on board with that. That's great. Um, <laughs> oh, and look at that. It's also in a lot of Eastern religions. Oh, and actually I can find it in some of the uh, the Sufis. And, you know, I can see this in a lot of con concepts. And so I, I, I do wonder sometimes, so this uh, that rabbit trail comes from a thought I had as you were talking, which is so something that they looked at is they looked at 2,700 people leave the Christian church in America every day. Wow. It's about a million a year are leaving the Christian church to never go back. And they, they polled them and said, what do you believe? Do you still have some sort of spirituality? And what's really interesting is about 78% said they still had some form of spirituality. They believed in something beyond just mm. the physical material. Um, 
they they might have been quite agnostic about that belief, but they, they weren't just like, oh, there's nothing apart from this material. We're just hurtling through space on a rock and that's all and it doesn't mean anything. A, a huge portion, four out of five of them, believed in some form of thing that was bigger than them. Um, as you look at the ex-Muslim community, do you, do you think a lot of people as they leave take some form of spirituality with them, some belief in something greater, maybe a belief in Allah, but not that Allah? Mm-hmm. Um, or it, it, is it that it generally tends towards much more of an atheistic kind of um, position? Mm. I mean, I think, I think majority, it does lead to atheistic um, mindset more than spirituality. I mean, I'm sure there are people out there who go through the spirituality. And I think it's actually, I I can firmly say that it is actually a transition because people go from Muslim to agnostic and then atheist is like the last. Mm. So there is like that spiritual um, kind of holding on to something before you completely let it go. Um, I mean, personally, I don't believe in anything. I'm not sure if you do, <laughs> but personally, I- Some I, days. Some days. <laughs> I, you know, like like for me personally, I like to believe that there is something, but I feel like we'll never know. And yeah. um, I feel like it's no, there's no point living your life for something you will never know. And it's like, it's kind of like, um, like, like I just want to go back to what you said about um, all, or like all religions being like, a good thing in some way and like for me when I look at like the historical context of religions um usually like I can say with Islam and I think with Christianity and Judaism it was about a man who was trying to change things that were wrong that he saw that were wrong in his community mm-hmm. at that time and because of the knowledge level at that time people needed some sort of belief to attach to that mm-hmm. so the only way he could bring about change was by attaching his belief to that, you know? And so, I mean, in some ways I really admire um, Muhammad for that. I really admire what he's done because he's, he, and I mean, Jesus as well, they've managed to create something that lasted years and years. It's, it's, it's incredible. It's, uh, it's amazing. But also it, it kind of feeds to the laziness of the followers to, to just keep, yeah. You know, like it's it's so ironic because in Islam, we have these things that we have a story about how uh, Muhammad says that his uh, uh, that his followers shouldn't be blindly following their uh, grandfathers and their grandfathers. They should think for themselves. But it, that's exactly mm. what everyone's doing in the Islamic community right now. They're following yeah. exactly what their grandfathers and their fathers were doing. And no one's thinking for themselves. And it's it's. That that's again comes back to what my mom said that thinking to yourself as long as you're not questioning Allah so you know you can't actually think for yourself <laughs> you have to yeah, think yeah. within the religion you can't think outside of that mm. and yeah that that brings about a lot of problems um, but yeah let, uh, what was your question again <laughs> I don't remember. I- <laughs> Sorry, I went on a tangent. No, no, that's good. That's really interesting because I, 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 I 100% agree. And I think, I think even people are psychologically at states at times. You look at how humans grow up and develop. At certain stages, children need certainty and safety and, 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 a, and a quite a stable worldview. And you need to give them a black and white answer, even if it's not 100% true. You know what I mean? We, we go, oh, well, this is how it works. And it's like, mm. now as a grown up adult, you're like, well, it's actually way more complex than that. Jesus, wait till you grow up and you will get into that. But that's, they just need something to kind of like 
you know, hold on to. Um, and as they grow and develop, they go, oh, whoa, this is a bit more gray and I need to explore this. And oh gosh, that's a bit more. But they're, they've got the psychological um, kind of stability to pick things apart and not have the whole world crumble, you know, and not fall over and die. Um, and I think that's in some ways reflects how cultures develop and grow as well. I think in very primitive societies, um, which I think it's safe to say cultures that were like, you know, freaking out, the sun just went down. Holy crap, let's worship the sun god so that the moon god doesn't win. These are the cultures that birth monotheism. You know, like these are the, <laughs> they're coming out of this world. Yeah. Um, they don't understand that we're going around the sun or, you know, I mean, they they're literally think there's a sun god somewhere and they're freaking out. Um, you can understand that they needed some stability. You can understand when someone goes, hey, I think we shouldn't burn uh you know, disabled people anymore because maybe disabled people are, you know, ah, not so sure. Well, God told me. Oh, okay, cool. Well, I can get on board with that. Sure. Yeah. You know, like we're in a culture where like we need a God, we need a, a person at the top that makes us feel safe and goes, well, actually, here's the word from on high. Um, whether the word from on high is in a Bible, a Quran, a Pope, a uh, Imam, uh, a God, an Allah, mm. whatever it is, we need someone up there to make us feel safe. Just mm. like the seven-year-old needs mom to say, well, this is how it is. And they go, oh, I feel a bit safer that this yeah. guy isn't going to follow me or whatever they ask their mom, you know. Um, exactly. But I bet you the mom doesn't really know what the, the ozone caving in. I mean, she doesn't really know the ins and outs of how our atmosphere works. So, you know, and so as that kid <laughs> but, grows but up, they go, that's probably not true. <laughs> but yeah, you know, do you, so I guess I guess all I'm saying is in that. I think at times we need these kind of things to make us feel safe. And, and this, mm. but I think humanity as a whole, as a, as an overarching uh, community, as an overarching consciousness, we're growing past the point where we need someone to just go, look, yes. that's the way it is. It comes from on high, just accept it. We're, we're now at a stage where mostly throughout the world, we're going, hold on, but let's think about this. Let's mm. question it. Let's dive a bit deeper. Maybe we can actually find more meaning, more purpose, more answers. Maybe we'll end up in Mars if we stop questioning that, you know, where we are in the universe and that everything revolves around us. We might actually go to another planet or we might, you know, I don't know. Um, there's just, we're, we're, we're somewhere new, I think, um, yeah. that maybe religions, aren't they aren't moving forward maybe maybe some will emerge i don't know i don't know what that <laughs> looks like but or spiritualities i guess i guess there's a lot of spirituality things evolving nowadays isn't there that 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 community is growing on its own as well um i think yeah going back to to that question which i actually remembered what it was now oh, <laughs> <laughs> which was about spirituality mm. and i think like i can i can speak mainly for myself i don't want to speak for the whole ex-Muslim community, but I can speak for myself and say that like, I, I don't believe in anything. And um, I think one of the, one of the main things that religion has, has taught me, I would say is this whole accountability system, you know, like mm. in a, in a religion, you are not accountable for anything because it's either God gave you something because he's rewarding you or Satan is punishing you or God is testing you, but there's no accountability for anything. And when I left Islam, that is one thing I learned. And that one thing that changed my entire life mm. is to be self-accountable and to do things, not because I'm going to earn brownie points and go to heaven, but to do things because it's the fucking right thing to do <laughs> at the end yeah. of the day. <laughs> and yeah, we could learn. We have learned some of these things from our religious beliefs. But at the same time, we've also learned things that we shouldn't be doing from our religious beliefs as well. Like when you speak yeah. about homosexuality and when you speak about the situation in France right now, 
just things mm. that we don't yeah. fucking do and you know what um full i was i was a muslim when 9/11 happened and um i actually i was in i was in the community i was a firm believer and i can honestly tell you i did not understand 9/11 until i became an ex muslim because of the dialogue around 9/11 in the muslim world mm. i didn't understand then? it well it's all victimization as soon as mm. it happens all everyone talks about is islamophobia nobody talks about the people who died nobody talks about the the trauma of the pe- victims everyone focuses on islamophobia in the muslim community and that's mm. exactly what happened then and that's exactly what's happening now with the france community and i'm so so angry at all the reactions i've seen from my family about the situation because no mm. one is acknowledging that a fucking man was beheaded no one is saying this out loud all they doing is crying wolf and crying boohoo islam is in the media boohoo no one likes islam a fucking man died say it say it's yeah. wrong mm. and then cry islamophobia but say a fucking man died own it yeah. it happened yeah it it does it strikes me uh, so the only i mean i guess christianity is on the whole um a a little bit away from our days where we were beheading people and killing people but we have our history a mm. big history we were killing our own people right the catholics were killing <laughs> the protestants the protestants were killing catholics i mean we we cannot judge um and yet um the only kind of parallel i look at is there's this movement in america called the westboro baptist church and they are like extremist christians and they go they go to people's funerals and they boycott them because you know they think god like was punishing the nation so they hold up big signs at the funeral and sing like hateful slurs and songs and and this is the grieving families you know trying to like you know whatever and and the christian response to that is to go oh well that that's just extremism and whatever and um and 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 the truth is they actually are just um they they are the most extreme example of what christianity could look like but it is an extreme example of what Christianity could look like. There's there's a dark side within what Christianity is that is expressed mm. there that Christianity has to own and go, yeah, that is in our text. And we have to be open about that. And yeah, that they? is. And, and no, no one does that. They don't do that <laughs> at all. Because to do that would to be um, self-aware and to, to maybe create some of those cracks that start yeah. giving us those existential crises. That, that, that's why it's no accountability. There's no fucking accountability yeah. in the religions. And so there has to be this two-way, like you said, you yeah, like, of course, Islamophobia is a, a, an issue. Of course, no one's, no one's saying, well, a lot of people are saying that's not an issue, I'm sure. But the point is, like, of course, that's an issue. Yes, I agree. But also Why? an issue, there's something within Islam that allows certain groups of people within Islam to literally kill people. And okay. can we talk about both components? Can we put both components on the table and go, yes, that's wrong, but so am I sometimes? And yeah. can we look at that as a more holistic conversation? That conversation just doesn't seem to be happening. It doesn't seem to be happening because a lot of Muslims don't even know what is in the Quran. They don't even know mm. what the, what Islam is teaching them. I actually remember this conversation I had with my uncle about ISIS, and I and um, so I I lived in Turkey for two years, and um, my my grandfather was actually worried that I was moving to Turkey to join ISIS, and I was like, "Do you even fucking know me? <laughs> like, do you really fucking even know me if you think I'm going to join ISIS?" <laughs> Like, how much do they know? Do they actually know who I am? And at that time, I was an ex-Muslim anyways. Right. Um, but anyway, yeah, I, w- I was talking to 
And then it came up again as like kind of in it. Oh, your your grandfather was worried that you're going to join ISIS. One of my uncles said, and I was like, um, yeah, I'm not going to be anyone's sex slaves. And he was like, oh, that's all the media's propaganda. That uh, that's not real. And I didn't say anything, but I was thinking in my head, do you know that sex slaves are in the fucking Quran? Do you know that? How, why do you think that's propaganda? That's in the fucking Quran. People will do it if it's there. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. Yeah, yeah. I didn't say it to him, but they they don't know. They just don't know what what is in their religion. Yeah, and that's part of what I do with my memes. I'll bring up stuff like that. sex slaves are in the Bible too. Christian yeah. tradition. God yeah. goes, hey, go into that town, kill every man, woman, and child. But not the young girls. You can keep them, divvy them up amongst the soldiers. Mm. Well, what do we think the soldiers were doing with the young girls? Yeah. Right? I mean, it's like what? They were throwing them birthday parties. That's what well, they Islam's were Well, Islam's a lot like, more explicit. I don't know how... And it's maybe more explicit. Yeah, sure. But so I mean, much more explicit. Oh, my God. It's just God. wild that we, we do go, okay, blinkers on, quickly turn that page. Okay, we're at the promised land or we're at the mm. Jesus bit or we're at the bit that makes us feel <laughs> more comfortable and whatever yeah. but and i mean we one do of struggle my, to look at dark parts one of my friends took all these questions to an imam when she left well she didn't take them she was forced like this is what happens when you leave islam you're forced mm. to talk to an imam and you're forced to get all your questions out there so she took all her questions to the imam and she spoke to imam and the imam could not answer anything there was like just trying to justify sex slaves in the Quran. oh it was context specific oh it was a period of that time but god put it there as a message for people for all of time. How can that be your justification for this? (laughs) You know, if, if, you know, God could have easily stopped that, you know, if it was wrong, if it's wrong now, why was it, you know, why would a God of all times not make it wrong back then? Yeah. Yeah. And this, this highlights the picking and choosing again, you know, you look at um, a good example for Christianity might be how they deal with the slavery passages throughout the Christian texts, you know, so you've got the Jewish text, the Christian text, both kind of pro-slavery, not certainly against it. Mm. Um, and so they would go, oh, no, no, no. Now, back when slavery was on the table, they'd be arguing for slavery because uh, they all had slaves. But now they go, oh, no, no, well, that was a different culture. It was a different time, but we've learned, we've grown beyond that. And it's great. Okay, what about homosexuality then? Can it be a different time and culture? And can right. we grow beyond that? Oh, no, 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 not that one. Okay. Um, <laughs> now, some Christians do say yes to that. Um, so that's not fair of all Christians. But, you know, it's, it's this picking and choosing. And the problem is when you do have that component, and I get it, we all have to do that with any spiritual text. You have to go, oh, well, what's the meaning? What's this deeper? What what, what am I going to let it mean for me or whatever? But when you read it as a fundamental black and white text and you say, well, this is the word of God. This is the, the black and white text that we, if it says it, we have to believe it. And then you go, well, not that part. That part's um, cultural or contextual. You're clearly creating two things that can't coexist. It's just not possible. It's not possible for us to go, oh, yeah, that doesn't work. You have to let go of the black and white, thus saith God. (laughs) If it's in the text, we do it. Um, Because there are things in there that go, oh, yeah, the sex slave bit. Um, Okay, maybe not saith God. I don't know. Um, It's it's really messy. I don't know if you ever heard or if, if it's ever been said in the Christian community, but I know in the Muslim community, they say that, oh, um, God gave the slaves more rights than they used to have, which is actually mm-hmm. technically true. Yeah. But God also could have done away with slavery altogether. He could have moved a bit further. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, they say Islam was given to us in stages so that it could be easy for people to practice it. So why couldn't the end stage be end fucking slavery? <laughs> you know? Yeah. 
No, absolutely. And and I think people need to grow in stages. I don't know. I mean, if, if you look back to early Judaism when they got the law on Mount Sinai and Moses is dishing out the law or whatever, you're talking a long time ago, if that was a time and that actually happened, um, 3,500 years, maybe 3,000 years. I can imagine 3,000 years ago, if you said to a bunch of people that probably all on some level had slaves or benefited from a system mm. that had slaves, hey, no more slaves. I can imagine it would go badly. Mm. I can. I can imagine someone going, okay, what if we just gave the slaves like a couple of days off a week, you know, or whatever, you know, like, or what if we gave the slaves like, you know, this concession? What if we just didn't rape the slaves? You know, whatever it is, right? Yeah. I mean, I can imagine people being a little bit more open to that than yeah. no slaves. And so I can understand how, I can certainly understand how it happens just anthropologically, how it just evolves. Yeah, for sure. Um, I can also imagine that there is a God up there that's going, well, I'm not, I'm going to be hands off on this. I'm just going to nudge along the way. I can imagine a God going, uh, I'm not going to give him everything at once. I'll, I'll nudge him in the right direction. I could imagine that. I could, I can understand that argument. But the problem is you can't then read your text as a black and white text. You have to say, okay, well, this text is evolving. This text is growing over time and, and we yeah. have to accept that. And that has uh, to be on everything, not just slavery. Exactly. Exactly. We have yeah. to at least be, it has to be on the table. Could yeah. this be another thing that we're growing beyond, that we're mm-hmm. allowing ourselves to evolve in? Mm-hmm. Um, which in fundamental religion, that, that's just not a possibility. It isn't, it isn't possible. Mm. Um, so, yeah. Well, okay. I mean, technically, I totally agree with what you just said. But technically, if God wanted to end slavery, couldn't he just like wave his finger and make everyone's mind be like, no more slaves? And send down the rule, and that would be it, because God is like God. In in Islam, they say kun fayakun, be and it is, and that's yeah. what it is. So I mean, God has magic, right? He, I mean, he could, right? There's a concept of God that knows everything, does everything, can do everything. But then you could say the same of like, well, how come people get raped? How come people die? How people get starved? You know, it's the same thing. If God was really yeah. a good guy, if he really could do this. Um, yeah. And then you get all the people going, well, but free will and, you know, that's the big argument. And then it's a big mess. And I don't know. I don't know. Because mm, um, we all need the dangling cookie to make us be good people, don't we? Yeah. Well, but the free will argument is a bit of a misnomer anyway, right? Because you could say free will, but like we're talking about with kids, right? You, If, if I go, okay, um, Hannah's going to have free will, but, okay, this Hannah that I'm designing from scratch, I'm going to put her in south africa and i'm going to put her in a muslim Muslim family family. and i'm going to put her in this community in this area and i'm going to make sure she goes to this school and then i'm going to make sure that this is her mosque and this is what this is going to be like and and actually i'm going to make her this amount stubborn and this amount (laughs) funny and right and 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 the simple fact is at some point God, this this being in the sky is a total asshole if you get this wrong because he made you the way that you would then freely live a certain way, right? I mean, on some level, at some point, free will falls down because at some point, God kind of set this thing in motion. Yeah. Um, and so it, it's, it's problematic anyway. It's still problematic. Well, um, I mean, I the whole concept of an, an Islam of free will is bullshit because they say that um, before we were even created, it was written who would go to heaven and who would go to hell. Mm. So what the fuck is free will in that? Yeah, Seriously. yeah. <laughs> There's an extremist, well, it's, it's not that extremist, it's considered quite normal. A, a lot of Christians hold that belief, it's called Calvinism, but yeah, it, God predestines people and he goes, you go to heaven, you go to hell, and he makes people to go to hell. Yeah. Because that glorifies God. 
that that's the same in, I don't know yeah. how but um it's the same and, in Islam and, yeah uh, I don't know what to do with that I don't, and, and 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 what blows my mind is I've been part of movements that believe that and I probably am looking back it's really hard I, I have like some sort of dissonance looking at my past life I think but I'm like pretty sure I believe that as well okay. when those seasons I, I I must have on some level gone yeah this adds up hmm. and that's crazy to me um but it added up and this yeah. is me who asks questions who questions everything and here we are it's um, pretty interesting that you say that you you kind of like distance from your past self because um I feel like I'm I, I've come to like a round circle of every part of myself of who I was because I feel like in my life I feel like I've been so many different versions of mm. myself and it's kind of like at this moment I'm like a nice big child version and I can I can be at a place where I can look back and like like I say I can understand my family so well I can understand um my mother I know how they think I know how they feel I know I know what's going through their minds and I can empathize with them but at the same time I can own who I am as a person and I don't hold I used to hold a lot of attachment to to my um, to what my family thinks of me, mm. um, what they value about me, and I honestly don't anymore <laughs> because I've learned to really love myself and come to terms yeah. with everything that I've become and my my whole journey. And and this is I'm just gonna try go go into like my 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 podcast. Um, yeah, yeah, because I'd love to hear how you've kind of what it is yeah. you're doing now because that's that, this is it, right? It's it's being you and, and enjoying exactly. being human. Yeah. Right? So, so yeah, exactly. So it's called refreshingly human and um, it's kind of like, well, what it's about is, is more about human connections and shared experiences. And I don't talk so much about myself being an ex-Muslim on there. And the reason I don't do that is because right now in my life, that's not what defines me as a person. Mm-hmm. That that's not what defines who I am, and that's not that's just a small part of an, of an entire journey to me. Yeah. Um. You know, and I I really have a lot of respect for people who are doing this work publicly. Um. And I think there's a lot of value in that, but it's just not what I'm building my brand on because I feel like I can bring value on a different level completely. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like um, I've I've lived among so many different cultures in my life. I've grew up South African, uh, Indian, and then I was married into a Pakistani family for seven years, and then I lived in Turkey for two years, and now I have very, very, very British in-laws. <laughs> <laughs> so I've I've lived. I haven't just like traveled, but I've lived in and among so many cultures that I've come to realize that we're always trying to see what's so different in all of us that we tend to forget that we all are human. We all bleed red. And at the end of the day, we all want and feel similar things. And that's what my show is about. And that's what I'm trying to project onto my show is that um, like, I think that a lot of people who haven't experienced the ex-Muslim or or leaving any religion, if they come to my podcast, they can relate to what I'm saying without even knowing what color my skin is or where I'm from. Mm, Absolutely. Yeah. It's such an easy thing to do. This is, I talk about this often, but like, this is why I have long podcasts because I can guarantee I could pick your worst enemy. And if I just sat them down for two, three hours and just chatted with them about their, their upbringing, their life, who they are at the end of two, three hours, you'd be like, "Eh, 
I'm not that bad a person. I can understand how they became that or why they believe that. Or like, it's really hard when you actually listen and when you get to Mm. know someone to, to, to see them as an enemy, to see them as a bad person. You might see them as a broken person. That might be, your perspective might go from, wow, this is a terribly evil, awful person to, (laughs) wow, this is a really broken person that has some shit to deal with. That might be as where you come to, but you're not going to go, this person is deeply evil. Yeah. Generally I mean, speaking, you're gonna go, oh. But I think that's another thing that, that religious culture kind of leads us to believe that there is good and there is evil and there's no yeah. in between. And I think I firmly believe that there's good and evil in all of us, and we yeah. choose to see what we want to see in people. And um, like for me personally, um I have a lot of people in my life that I don't like or I don't get along with. But I'll never t- see them as a bad or an evil person. It's just a conflict of personalities, a conflict yeah. of interests. I can still see them as a human being with feelings and they have their own story. They have their own issues. Um, I think it's okay for us to say that we don't get along with someone or, you know, maybe they're just not someone that's on our wavelength. That's fine. But I think yeah. that we are conditioned to believe that we have to label people as good, bad, evil. And that's just something that's, is a perception really. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, labels as a whole, right? I mean, we love a label because a label just immediately means I can categorize you. I can put you over there. I don't even have to get to know you or hear what you have to (laughs) think, right? Oh, you're a Republican. Oh, you're (laughs) like labor. You're Democrat. You're, you know, whatever it is, this is political. Oh, you're a Christian. Oh, you're a Muslim. Oh, you're an atheist. And oh, I, because I know what that means, right? Atheist means X, Y, and Z. I don't know really what that means about you, but no. Just that label immediately goes, oh, I can put you over there and I can decide whether you're a good guy, a bad guy, you're with us, you're against us. It's it's just this default that it feels that so many people are trapped in this like black and white us, them mentality. Mm. Um, I love that that's what you're doing, though, that you're breaking down that us, them, that mm. there only is an us. If we If we stop, if we listen, if we look, we go, oh, you're like me. You and me are very, very similar, actually. And yeah, we're very different. That's there. Um, and that's easy to see. But, and but that so doesn't is mean anything. the similarity. Yeah, no. that doesn't mean anything. You know, like I'm I'm a brown person married into a white family. And I find that more often than not, I'm like kind of picked out for my different culture. And it's, you know, nobody wants to be the person in the room who's like pointed at to be different, you know, Mm. nobody wants to be that person. And people are subconsciously doing it because they've never been outside of their bubble. And, you know, we forget that at the end of the day, we're all just human. We could bond around our love for music. We could bond against around our love, our hate for religion. (laughs) You know, there are similarities that we could bond on instead of pointing out, you know, like, for example, I'm brown. I could point out. Oh, you guys really love your tea, don't you? Oh, you guys love your English roast, don't you? Oh, you cook a very good English roast. Do you do you want me to teach you how to cook a curry? I could I could bring it on <laughs> if I wanted to. <laughs> you know, but I don't do that. <laughs> yeah. And but that's what's done to me because people are not stepping outside of their bubbles and they don't realize that that's not the way you bond with a person. You know, mm. if you want to get to know about a different culture, Today, we live in such a, a wide community. We have YouTube. We have books. Open right. a fucking book. Yeah. Research. Don't go to people and and pick, pick them out of a room. Don't go to the only brown person in a room full of white people and start asking them or start making assumptions about 
oh, you only cook curries or, oh, you must be really good at cooking curries or anything like that. Don't do that. Mm. <laughs> go, go read a yeah. fucking book. If you want to learn how to make a good curry, go to YouTube. <laughs> yeah. No, that is, yeah, it's just so built into us. We, we, we see difference. So we, I, I think in defense of humanity, it is hardwired into our genetic codes to be defensive of anything that is different. Um, you know, we've evil, evolved to go, oh gosh, yeah. that's not my tribe. That could be dangerous. Oh yeah. Run, you know, or attack. Sure. That's my two <laughs> options. Um, and At least so we've it, evolved from that. And, and, and exactly, and, at least our, 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 at least intellectually we have evolved and societally we have evolved to the point where we go, Oh, someone is very different to me. I feel uncomfortable and I know, okay, I shouldn't attack them or run away. I should try and have a conversation or I should try yeah. and gracefully leave the room or whatever it is that, you know, we, we, we've got to certain points where we respond to that. But the, the painful truth is that physiologically we take hundreds of thousands of years to evolve mm. and it's only been, maybe a few thousand years since we were bludgeoning people to death just because they look different. Mm. And let's be honest, in some parts of the world, we're still doing that. <laughs> and I'm not even talking about non-civilized parts of the world. Yeah. America, we're looking at you. Um, well, I, and, and here in the UK. <laughs> but yeah, well, anyway. I mean, I totally get that. And I, I totally agree with that. Um, but I think that these conversations are needed now because yeah. we are we are in, in a time where these conversations can be had. We have that platform. And um, like Phil, I've actually started speaking out when, when someone makes a comment that's ignorant or when someone, mm. um, because I like, especially if that person's going to be in my life for many years to come, I don't want to be the brown token girl in your life. So I, I yep. speak out and I think that we have to educate people nowadays. We have to start busting bubbles. It's going to happen. Yeah. Um, we living in a multicultural world and we're going to be forced to interact with other cultures and we got to learn how to do that. Um, so yeah, we're definitely evolving. And the only way we're going to keep evolving is if we speak and we have these conversations. Yeah. Um, that's the only way it's going to happen. Yeah. And we're, we're, a, we're a, 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 an animal which is remarkably adaptive. And, mm -hmm. and we are so capable of learning, of growing, of developing, right? And so even though physiologically we have so much stuff that seems to be hardwired, right? I mean, you know, like your sex drive, you look at the animal kingdom, right? I mean, how, uh, how much, uh, I don't know, going on dates and consent and lots of these things go on in a lot of parts of the animal kingdom. Not much, but guess what? We grew, we evolved, we've, we've added all sorts of components to, to, to love and to care and to honor and to respect. And so we're capable of growing and, and evolving way beyond just our physical responses. Mm. And I think it is um, so important that we're pushing people and expecting pe the best from people. And, yeah. I, and I, and I am really excited as well that we are moving forward as well. Absolutely. Like it's, it's so exciting to see the outreach. I mean, you look at the, even I was so excited in the UK to see race become just such a huge issue in the last, you know, few months in, res in response to something that happened in America. Yes. <laughs> but it wasn't about something that happened in America. It's about mm -hmm. something that happens everywhere to For every sure. person that is not the majority race in that country. Mm. Every time. And often is it even in fact, that is often a uh, victim to a minority race in that country, but the minority race happens to be white. So they're powerful and they're rich and they're whatever. And so mm. um, I think like I got so encouraged at the Black Lives Matters in Manchester here where we are. I mean, there were so many people at that March. I was just like, 
holy crap it got me really excited and i think as well what's exciting about it and and maybe there's a lot of virtue signaling and maybe there's a lot of other components at play i'm sure everyone's there to get an instagram snap or i'm sure people could argue that but i've i've never been so encouraged as well that if you look historically at marches about race it's not going to be a very diverse color that you're going to see you're going to see dark colored people mm. um and actually what was really exciting that i've seen again and again and again in marches that are happening all over the world about race is that there is a a, a myriad of colored faces and uh, there you know uh, like white brown black whatever there's such a mix and you go that's encouraging to see white people waking up to their supremacy to their fragility to mm-hmm. their whatever and going yeah i'm racist i'd like to become anti-racist show me the way that is like that just is so exciting to see yeah and and of course there's plenty of people that are not going show me the way right <laughs> um but yeah. it's, it's exciting to see that momentum um and i think yeah it's, it's again the things that are are drawing us together i think no one wants to be the bad person no one no. wants to be no one wants to be racist no. well maybe some people do but the vast majority <laughs> right? if you look at people that are racist if you go do you want to be racist i'm not i'm not a racist and it's like okay so you don't want to be a racist okay can we take a step down and go, is it possible that you could do that accidentally? And, and we start exploring this, and, mm. you know, and I think there's so much scope there in the right conversations yeah. to, to, to grow. And, and so having conversations that are breaking down these barriers, these us, these thems, these creating common ground, we're all human, we're all in the same place. Mm-hmm. Um, talk to me. So you're in, are you in season two or season three of your podcast? Season three right now. Yeah. Three. And yeah. so you're, each season kind of focuses around a certain kind of topic, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, so when I started with season one, I was kind of experimenting and I wasn't really going to be very serious about my podcast. Um, and then, you know, um, I'm not sure what your experience with, with starting full was, but mine was a lot of freaking anxiety when I started <laughs> the platform. And I kind of like, when I started it, I kind of realized how little bit I knew about the online world. And I was like, mm. damn, you know, I, I used to like just post selfies on Instagram and now I've got to learn like a lot of shit. And it's hard. It's, it's really hard to make it out there. So after yeah. eight eight months of podcasting, I kind of stopped. And um, I started another project. I started writing um, a novel about my life. And uh, I'm almost done with the first draft of that. And then, nice. yeah, yeah. And then a few months ago, um, some random lady on the internet made me really mad. <laughs> And she sparked the episode of Urgency Culture, which was the first episode of season two and the comeback Mm. of my podcast. So the platform's kind of changed. And yeah, I am working in themes now just because um, it's a weekly show now and just to be able to get uh, explore that as much as possible. And to also have a lot of content going on. I work on a themed basis now. So we covered um, the topic of success and... um, so, yeah, so with finding that line of humanity with success, we looked at what success meant and what failure means to people, um, to a wide range of people. And we just discussed that what we are conditioned to believe about these terms and, you mm. know, what they actually mean to us and uh, how we can actually go forward from that um, and, you know, change the meaning of success and find our own meanings and and change mm. our dialogue about failure as well, because failure is so negative in our lives, but it can be yeah. such a positive thing um, if, if we choose to look at it that way. 
And Absolutely. you know what? Honestly, there's no successful person on this earth who has not failed. There's no one. Show me absolutely. one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? No, absolutely. And yeah, so that was the season on success. And now we are on season three, which is on emotions, which I think is a really prevalent mm. in our time right now because, uh, you know, we, we all, our emotions are like heightened right now. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, so I've been exploring um typical emotions that we could feel on a day-to-day basis. And um, in the first two episodes, I spoke to uh, a CBT practitioner and an academic on psychology. And we explored like where our emotions come from, why we feel them and like the evolutionary history of them and why they are important. And now in each episode after that, we kind of exploring each emotion in the form of stories. So I give my story of that emotion and, and, um, like a story from my life so the most recent one is shame and I actually talk about how um, the hijab made me feel very ashamed of myself which is um, Mm. quite an interesting story there and then I have other friends coming on with their own stories about all these emotions and over the whole season it's kind of to show you that one person can feel all of these emotions and you know like we kind of like like we were saying, we kind of like look at a person, we put them in a box and we're like, oh, she's so positive. He's so angry yeah. all the time. But it's not the case. We all have a varied amount of emotions and we all feel these emotions. Yeah. And also I, I'm reflecting on what these emotions taught me and the roles that they played in my life mm. as well. And I think that it's something we don't really look deep enough into. And uh, yeah, that, that that's what's happening right now. <laughs> that's awesome. That's really exciting. And so how long do your seasons run for? Are they quite, quite, uh, they're quite short run or they're short. Yeah. Yeah, no, okay. they're quite short. So it's, um, so do you have a season four already? Like you're in your head. You're yes. like, oh, we're going to do. Yeah. Yeah. Planned already recording the nice. first episode this week, actually. Oh, wow. Awesome. <laughs> um, What's the theme going to be for season four? Uh, goal setting in line with coming up to new years. We're going to be talking about okay, goal setting. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Wonderful. Oh, it's really exciting. I, I love what you're doing. Um, and I, I listened to a couple of your podcasts. I listened to you, 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 I listened to an Instagram of you today, I think, talking about shame. <laughs> and man, it's just, it made me think, man, shame is just so huge. And you, I think you were talking about, you know, how, you, you know, you used to feel shame about, oh, if I showed my shoulders and, oh, you know, but then there's so religious I- components and things like that. And it's just so common. It's right. I mean, it's, it, it just suddenly bonds us again and we go, oh yeah, we've all felt shame. We've all done that. <laughs> Exactly, yeah. Sorry, right? I interrupted you there. Go for it. Oh, no. Yeah, no. It's not that I, I felt shame of my shoulders. It was that I was I was made to feel ashamed of it, you know? Yes, yes. So that's a yeah. good clarification as well, yeah. And that's a common thing throughout, like, I mean, I know a lot of people listening to this and we talk about this a lot within, within Christianity is a concept of purity culture and you've got to be pure and to do that, you couldn't possibly wear a strappy top or show your shoulder or, you know, or whatever, have any cleavage or, you know, yeah. your skirt has to be a certain length and cover certain parts and... Um, and I, we talk to some, some people we talk to like are they're out of religion for 20 years and they, um, are in a shop and they see a outfit and go, oh, I love that. And then they go, but I couldn't wear that. And it's 20 years later, you know, they're in their fifties or something and they're, they're completely autonomous human being. And they're still allowing this mentality of the shame that was put on them, you know, as a kid, still holding on to them and so i think it's just so important that we actually engage with these emotions and go whoa i'm feeling shame where is that coming from what's going on here um just so fascinating 
what is it teaching me? I think that's a very important question. What is this teaching me? And what is this telling me? Um, Because I think that shame taught me a lot about what my values are and what is important to me. um, Mm. Because I was fighting the shame, you know, I was, I was fighting against it. And I think that that shame is something that is a friend of all religions. It's an emotion that is a friend of religions because it's something that is a manipulative way, manipulative way of controlling people. And that is creating this essence of shame that we need to feel ashamed of um, maybe our bodies or covering up or um, uh, I know like in in the Muslim culture, it's it's like your body for a woman, your body is supposed to be like some sort of um, some sort of gem that no one's supposed to see. And obviously that, that, gives the men no sense of self-control because yeah, the, moment, the moment, yeah, the moment the man sees the shoulder is like, Ooh, six me up. Like, okay, yep. nice. Good, good job. Shoulder. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it pays. And then, and then what happens is, is men are taught, Oh, you're just these like uncontrollable, like basically a penis with legs and arms running around right. and you're, you couldn't you could possibly. And then we go, oh, why on earth are so many prominent religious people then caught in sex scandals and mm. abusing people? And, oh, well, you know, they their skirt was too short. I'm like, really? Mm. Really? So it's okay for you to sexually abuse someone, rape someone or whatever, because it's the woman's responsibility mm. how you handle your own. You know, it's, it's, it's yeah. these components at play that... Yeah. It, it creates such an unhealthy dialogue about sex and such an unhealthy um, relationship with sex because you know what, Phil? Sex is fucking awesome and, and it should be spoken about in a more mm-hmm. open dialogue. And, you know, I, I firmly believe that the repressed culture of talking about sex is a lot of the reason that we have so many problems with sex nowadays as well. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I've seen it. I've seen it in, in, in my own culture. I've seen it with men who are so repressed, but they have like um, pictures of naked women on their phone and they, they have problems with chronic masturbation because they can't have sex with women. Um, you know, it's, it's what's happening when we don't have a healthy dialogue about sex. And I'm actually going to be doing a whole season about sex yes. um, because I'm so passionate about um, changing that dialogue. We need to change that dialogue. And we think, I think that we all think that we were thought about sex this way, but we don't realize that we all were thought about sex almost the exact same way uh, across all cultures. We are all being told or being not told the same things. And in some, in some culture, like in some families, they don't even talk about it at all. They don't even have the talk, no, absolutely. you know, yeah, like, I, I've joked about this on the podcast many times. My my parents talk with me was my dad basically saying one sentence to me as I was like going say, out the door once. And he was like, Phil, he's like, you know what sex is? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, okay, we'll use a condom. <laughs> and, and he was a pastor. He didn't even believe in sex before marriage. Like, you know, and, um, and he, did, he, then said, he said, do you want to talk about this more? And I was like, no. And he's like, okay. And that was <laughs> it. That was the whole conversation. And I'm like, and that was it. And the rest I learned from repeatedly watching porn nonstop, which because go. it was evil. And that was my that teenage life, right? I, I mean, love that that's... you can say that out loud, though, because people oh, are so, of course. so much of shame with watching porn, but mm-hmm. you know, we've all watched it at some point in our lives. Sure. 
And if you're if you are a Christian guy, a lot of girls as well, but certainly a Christian guy, it's it's hammered into you every week at a youth group or at church. It's like, oh, you got to, you can't watch porn, you can't lust, you can't do this, you can't do that. You're 14. Your whole body is going, hi, I have an erection. I know it's been four <laughs> minutes, but I've got another one. Um, what do you want to do? I mean, the internet's there. It's just been created. You've lit. You are in the golden age of being a teenager. Like, <laughs> um, like. We have to accept, okay, that's the reality. And guess what happens when you repress it, when you demonize your sexuality? I'm not saying you um, glorify porn because there's plenty of, especially, there's a lot of conversations about the ethics of different things. So I'm not talking about ethical porn, but certainly the vast majority of porn, there's a lot of problems there. So I'm not saying porn is good, but what I'm saying is um, teenagers have a sex drive. We mm. should probably talk about that. We should probably acknowledge it. We should probably not tell them your sex drive is evil and try and bury it because yeah. now they're just going to keep having a sex drive but feel shit about it. And guess what that does? When you do get married, when you do start having sex, now you just feel shit about having sex because yeah. you can't just turn it back on, you know? And so even now you're doing it the right way, you still have all this guilt associated. And it's it's such a messy, messy topic. It um, is. It's really yeah. a messy topic. And it's just so much to get into in that topic. And I think you're going to be, if you if you mm. offer it, I would love to have you on my sex um Oh, sure. <laughs> I'm always happy to talk. We, I would say a, a vast majority of the conversations we have on my podcast, sex ends up coming up because people course, always it's... have some crazy sexual hang up or yeah. teachings or whatever restrictions. And yeah, for sure. It's, it's such a big topic in religion. It's it's so big in religion. It's like I feel like so much of our religion is based on sex and we don't even know it. It's yeah. just it's just there because like the hijab is based on sex. Um, there's so much of sex in heaven. Um, you know, marriage is based on sex. Um, just so many parts of religion that's based on sex. And we just, we don't actually realize that because that's not how it's thought to us. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's at the end of the day, it's one of the very external, real, tangible things. So when we spiritualize everything that gets spiritualized, what are we going to do? We're going to do good, bad, whatever. Like it always ends up, it seems, within religion falling on a, a very negative side of yep. the equation. And oh, yeah. yeah, it gets wrapped up. And I, I'm sure there are different religions that uh, glorify and, and very much uh, are positive towards uh, sex. I just watched, I'm re watching with my wife. There's a podcast, uh, the podcast, a documentary on Netflix called Wild Wild County. Have you seen it? No. It's so good. It's about a cult that um, was in India and they moved to Oregon in America and set up shop and thousands of people ended up there and it was crazy. But they were a very pro-sex kind of uh, uh, religious oh, movement. I'm so um, And it is honestly one of the greatest documentaries ever. It's incredible. I love a good documentary about anything cultish. Religion, oh, me too. Like. So that, we just finished watching The Vow, which was in America. I think it's coming out in the UK this month. So keep an eye out for that as well. Um, and that is really good. That's about the Nixium cult in America that blew up, I think, last year um, or two years ago. And that's really good as well. But yeah, so but it, it's it, so it is there. Some religions, you know, go the other way and, you know, there's orgies in every other room and like it's crazy. Um, but it does feel that most uh, religions seem to need to demonize control. It's a great way to control. It's it's a weird, mm-hmm. weird thing. Yeah, it's it's a great me- method of control to 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 to, yeah. to, to restrict sex. Um, definitely. Um, yeah, I and was, to force marriage for sure. Yeah, I mean, to force marriage. Nine out of ten Christians get married Same. at the age of you know way too young. 
because well we need to have sex that's basically yeah. it. I, I'm, I'm I'm horny I'm not allowed to have sex okay what do I need to do to have sex get married okay done where do I sign yeah. That is how most Christian marriages originate. Um, same. It's the same in Islam. Like, it's the exact same thing. Um, crazy. Really it's crazy. crazy. Sorry, you were about to say something and I interrupted. Yeah, no, I was going to say my ex- uh, experience with the sex talk was quite funny because, like like you said, it wasn't even a talk. Um, so basically, when in Islam, when a woman gets her period, they kind of like, um, now you're a woman, which technically is not fucking true. Please do not have sex with a woman who just got her fucking period because she cannot carry a baby physically. Like, my God. Anyways, so that the, their whole thing is that once you bleed, you can have mm-hmm. sex and have yep. a baby. So as soon yeah. as I got my period, my mom was like, um, so I'm going to tell you the same thing that my dad to- told me when I went to high school. And uh, if you if I catch you talking to any boys, we're taking you out of school. That was my sex talk. Wow. Well, I yeah. mean, if you can take it enough steps back, if you can't talk to anyone, but I, I feel like you could do a lot of things without talking. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I, I was I was always where is the like the the fine print I would have definitely got that one, um, yeah. <laughs> I always yeah, joked with Christians. I, of that. <laughs> I always joked with Christians. Um, so after I got I got I was in a marriage uh, early, earlier on and I got divorced and and that I was still Christian at this point and Christians really strongly believe no sex before marriage and I always joked I was like well uh, this is not premarital sex I'm I'm after marriage. Right? I've been married and got divorced. Surely I can have sex with anyone at this point. Um, I found the loophole. Um, but uh, yeah. Did, no. did that work for you? Because I remember my experience <laughs> it did with not it. Work. Yeah. My, my experience <laughs> with it, it was quite. Um, I, I had to talk it through with my partner because, um, well, I mean, I've only ever been with two guys in my whole life. I've been married and then I've been with my husband. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but like, it was a big deal for me with my husband because we were dating for about four years before we got married Mm. and obviously we had sex um but it was a big deal for me because I had all this religious shame brought into it and I had to kind of like talk it through with him and kind of like think about it and really like see if this is what I felt was good for me um and yeah I mean once once you rip the band-aid though you rip the (laughs) band-aid yeah 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 Absolutely. But it's it's a huge deal. And I, I, I talk to a lot deal. of people that have left their faith and they still have these things. I mean, mm. th- that especially is so ingrained because it, it's so intertwined with something that is so emotional, uh, transformational. It, it, it's very existential, right? Your, your sexuality, who you are, um, your sexuality emerges around this time where you are figuring out who you are and all these things are coming about. And and to betray that on some level, to break that on some level, there's a lot going on there. It's yeah. a huge, huge very deal. psychological, um, mm. for sure. Yeah. Um, and I mean, at the end of the day, it's two consenting adults. Um, yeah, you know, absolutely. and but that's not what we thought. <laughs> that's really not what we thought. There's just so much of shame with it, so much of unnecessary shame. Um, because I know, um, I had a friend, I have a friend, one of my best friends, she's also from a Muslim background, but she's not practicing anymore. And she's not, she's not really a Muslim. And I remember that when we were living together in Turkey, she used to feel really guilty about sleeping with guys. And I'd be like, dude, if you need it, get it. Like, stop feeling guilty about it. (laughs) You know? I was like, you you do you. And I had to keep talking it through it because we had another friend who would like kind of slut shame. And I was like, 
But mm. don't don't listen to her if you happy to do this. If this is okay with you, do it. It's fine. Like you know, it it really should be the person, the individual's decision. You know, yeah. I I wouldn't do it. It wouldn't be something I would do. But if she was happy and she was fine with it, then why not? Why yeah. should anyone shame her? Yeah. When we look at how these practices and how these concepts come about, I mean, the idea of no sex before marriage. You're you're talking. These are like prehistoric concepts it's, it's concepts of property right it's concepts of you know women are property and mm-hmm. i need to ensure that you after you purchase this property you're getting mm-hmm. a, a, a untouched product that you can guarantee that your child with this child with this woman well probably with this child um will be your child and therefore we need to ensure her virginity you know blah blah, blah mm-hmm. which good luck doing anyway i mean how are you even checking out i mean if, is this kid ridden a horse in its life or you know i mean there's so much going on here um but like you know there's all this stuff and actually really when you start taking a step beyond that you go oh wait so uh are women still property no do we still sell them no do we uh, you know are we into arranged marriages uh, I, I will say a vast quantity of the world still yes 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 on all these topics <laughs> yeah. but but you know when you start stepping into the western world and you're growing up and you're an adult and you're going wait hold on i'm no one's property no one's trying to vet to make sure that their ch- and even then if they need their child to be m- with me and, and it has to be their child guess what we've got contraception even that is like you know okay we're, we're, we've got technology here to help facilitate these components because yeah sure i would like to have a child with my wife and it to be my child Mm. yeah sure absolutely but there's a lot of other things going on here i don't have to somehow manipulate and control that situation to make that happen um and and so it's just amazing how we are still operating prehistoric uh terms and conditions to get about prehistoric outcomes Mm. um and and holding people to that And and it just goes to show just how much still on many levels women even in western culture that is enlightened and free and women have great rights women are still on some level property it's mm. still how they're perceived subconsciously maybe by most um yeah. but the the social structure around it is very much women are still second class citizens and still yeah. on some level a bit property um, it's I mean, scary i mean that's a big a big word you use there you know property and it's actually um something i wrote in my novel when i was writing about mm. my life and it was it was like I was my mom and my dad's property as a kid and then just my mom's as my dad died. Then I was my mom's property. Then I was my ex-husband's property. And then I was divorced. I was a 25-year-old divorced woman who became my mom's property again. I wasn't mm. even a fucking adult. I wasn't even allowed to be a grown-up ass woman after my divorce. I was my mom's property again. And, wow. you know, when the, the time I actually lost and gave up my religion was in Islam, when you get divorced, you have to stay in an idda period. It's a confinement period for three period cycles. You know, three period cycles. That's how modernized this technique, this this, this whole thing is. You know, we don't have calendars yeah. anymore. No calendars at this point. No calendars. And in that period, I went through so many stages. And I think like my, my questions started coming up again because the whole concept of it that itself is so screwed up um, because first of all, the reasons they came about was a to mourn your marriage. And first of all, I was not mourning my fucking marriage. I was celebrating the fact that my marriage was over because I was like yeah. free. I was fucking free. Uh, but then I was put back into the cage for, for, for that in period. 
And then the other reason was to make sure that the woman's not pregnant. And I was like, well, we have pregnancy tests now. And if I, if I had to sleep with anyone else and get pregnant, they could do a fucking paternity test, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like there's these reasons do not exist. Like they not, they not have value anymore. And then the other thing was that, oh, but um, a woman is very emotional and she needs time to, to get over it. And I was like, um, but that's not like, you can't say all women are like that. You can't say exactly what all women need. And it shouldn't yeah. be mandatory. If a woman wants to take that time, she should. If she doesn't want to take that time, that's up to her. Yeah. If she wants Is anyone to take- putting any men in boxes because they have emotions? Exactly. No one's doing that. No one. You know, apparently in, in apparently men don't have emotions in our in, in that, mm. you know, men don't have emotions, apparently. Like my ex was already on Facebook friending every other girl he could find, and I was fucking sitting in confinement. So, you know there's that <laughs> so yeah wow. i mean it, it's it's it was crazy and that that just opened a box of questions for me because that confinement didn't make sense to me and a lot of people i was speaking to were telling me how their confinement period really helped them and really like mm. they, you know they, they made a good use of their time and i was like that's great i'm, I'm happy for you but it should be a choice yeah. Why is it mandatory? Absolutely. That was that was my issue. Why is it mandatory? Why is it not my choice? Mm. And and that was the biggest thing for me. Yeah. No, it's I mean, I can't imagine. I mean, my world is privileged. I'm white, I'm male, I'm like in the UK is a pretty decent enough place to be in sometimes, occasionally. Don't seriously. <laughs> Um, you know, and, and I really, I can't, I can't even imagine, um, you know, going through those kind of concepts, being property, being seen as property, being treated as property. Like, mm. it's just a whole, yeah, it's just a whole world away from, from my reality. And so it just, I, I think it's so exciting to see, to hear your journey, to see what you're doing now and, and how you're helping people um it's really exciting it's it's an amazing thing and you should be really proud of how far you have come and 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 all that you're doing i mean that's it's it's a really amazing uh, accomplishment to to come from yeah very uh controlled manipulated backgrounds into helping people live their best lives and free like that's that's astonishing it really is and so yeah you should be hold your head up high over that one Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I guess that's kind of like what got me re-energized to keep doing this because a lot of people, whenever they hear my story, they'd be like, oh my God, that's like so amazing. Your life is so amazing. And I, for me, it's just my life, you know, it it is, it's literally just my life. But the reactions and the work that people were getting out of it kind of motivated me to, to, to speak about it publicly and to, to, you know, like you said, to help other people, um, you know, like if, if I didn't speak about it, it would literally just be, that was just my life to me. <laughs> it wouldn't hold any value to anyone else. Yeah. No, it's, it's wonderful. I want to be really respectful of your time because we have, we've gabbed on a fair amount. Um, but uh, how can people connect with you and what you're doing and stuff? Like where, where are you at online? So you're, mm-hmm. you've got your podcast is Refreshingly Human. Is that mm-hmm. right? That's right. right. Yeah. Perfect. And you can, so they can you find can- that. Yeah, you can find that on all podcast platforms. Um, and then I'm on Facebook as Refreshingly Human, uh, Instagram as Hannah Pillow RH, and uh, my website hannahpillow.com will be active before the end of the year. I'm just waiting on my new logo, and things will get yeah that will be active soon. 
You're on it. Awesome. Well, mm-hmm. I really appreciate you taking the time to tell your story. And I think it's, it's been very insightful for me because I haven't, I try to think I have actually had, I think one other person that's been come from uh, the Muslim community, but it's been really refreshing and interesting and, um, and intriguing. I, I love um, exploring kind of uh, other areas and it, it, like you, like you say again, we're all very similar. Like the, the, this process um, is so similar for people that are from such different backgrounds. But again, when you look closely, you go, oh, we had that kind of control and manipulation as well. Oh, we had that kind of whatever it is, you know. Um, I also think it's, I, 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 like, I love watching these documentaries about cults and reading books yeah. of people coming out of cults. And I'm always like, oh, that's what you call that. We call it something else. Like, but you know, I'm like, oh, we, we have that too. We have this cultish practice. Um, and it's just, it's, it's so fascinating to hear. And so I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, and yeah, I'd encourage people to check your stuff out for sure. Um, I'll make sure all the links and stuff are in show notes and, and things like that. Um, I think you want to chat off offline anyway. Um, yeah. So we'll do that as well. But yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, no worries. All right. That was Hannah Pillow. I hope you enjoyed that. I would encourage you to check out our podcast, Refreshingly Human. Some great stuff on there. Um, give her a follow on Instagram and Facebook. The links are in the show notes below. But on Instagram, it's Hannah Pillow RH. And so, um, yeah, shoot her a message, give, send her a DM and tell her how much you love this. Tag her in a story or something. Um, I'm sure she'd appreciate that. If you appreciate this podcast and you would like to support what I'm doing, everything I do is free. All the different work I do in helping people, talking with them day in, day out about their journeys, um, putting out the content like podcasts, different teaching resources, it's all free. Um, We've all been burned enough by people uh, trying to manipulate us out of our money so that they can help us spiritually. And so that my heart is to try and break away from that model and and do everything for free. But if you want to support what I'm doing, um, a gift of as little as $5 a month um, means a great deal. And you can do that via my Patreon or over on phildrysdale.com slash partner. And as a thank you, you get access to a private discussion group I run over on Discord. Um, There's monthly Zoom calls. We're doing our monthly Zoom call this weekend, actually on Sunday. So if you're listening to this as it comes out and you'd like to jump in on that, do get involved. But yeah, it would be great to have you on there. There's never any obligation, but the opportunity is there if if you would like to support what I'm doing. And and it does make a big difference because I do this full time and have no other form of income. Um, Check out the deconstructionnetwork.com as well. Another great resource that's completely free if you are deconstructing your faith and you want to connect with other people that have gone on similar journeys. It can be a very lonely journey. A lot of us lose our family, community, uh, churches, friends, um, as we deconstruct. And so the deconstructionnetwork.com is a great resource where you can search in your local area to try and find other people that are going on similar journeys and hopefully connect, um, especially post-COVID worlds um, might be a bit easier to connect. But yeah, it's, it's a great resource. So I encourage you to check that out. All right, enough from me. I'll see you next week for another couple of podcasts. Peace, guys.